in a perfect world we are currently live i'm just gonna make sure everything is behaving we're good on twitch mm-hmm. uh should be good on youtube i should have had the tab I'm checking myself on this side too and it appears to be starting pinging up my face has arrived that is a bad sign for everyone out there <laughs> good good <laughs> okay all right hi everyone uh welcome back to another episode of Lorebeards. uh this week we're starting off with something a little different. I, I have to show y'all something. You <laughs> don't. Something. You so, don't. <laughs> so, so Andy Law has uh, here has been playing Baldur's Gate 3 over on his Help. Twitch account at Lawhammer. And <laughs> you may be thinking, oh, that's kind of cool, but why do I care? And I'm going to show you why you should care. Because if you go, wa- if you go follow him on... Uh, Twitch and YouTube, but if you go follow I, him on I, Twitch, especially to actually no, you were streaming this on YouTube simultaneously. Yeah, it's on YouTube as well now. Um, yeah, I how to do the both of them. Yeah, so uh, you get to see parts like this. <laughs> I, I'm tempted to do the performance because I'm a thespian, don't you know? Yes, it's me. Let me in. Yeah, let me do my performance check, but I don't want to fail this one, so I'm going to drop a little bit of extra guidance on it. Roll that dice! I'm really glad that I did. Is it enough? Oh, that was close. Amazing. <laughs> oh, it was close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, make sure you go uh, check that out so you can catch awesome stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I tend to get involved with any game that I play. <laughs> Listen, my only my only issue is why hasn't that a character that voice for a character appeared yet in Lawhammer? That's my only that's my only complaint. We haven't had the opportunity to have him arrive yet. How is <laughs> that? That that, that should have been Lady Noct. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been one hell of an act. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um for. I was hoping for a nat one. It's okay. He rolled a nat one on his very first roll of his playthrough. My very first roll was a nat one. It was one. excellent. <laughs> I moved into the second stream that I did this morning, and I was like, oh, let's see how this one goes. And no time at all, a one again. I've not scored a single natural 20 yet. One. <laughs> I had, I think I had three nat 20s on my first <laughs> playthrough. <laughs> what a thing. And yes, I do do impressions of people as we go along. I literally can't help myself. I'm sitting there because I like to copy accents. I do it badly, but I have fun. All right, so uh, we <laughs> we're here for a reason, uh, which is not the real reason about, we're here. Yeah, yeah, which is not to talk about Baldur's Gate three, as tempting as that is. Um, so uh, this week, due to community vote, we mm-hmm. are doing we are discussing the Hags of Kislev, which is probably almost assuredly going to branch out into other Kislevite topics. Um, but uh, first of all, thank you all for voting. Uh, and second of all, let's just go ahead and hop right into it. So obviously the Hags of Kislev are a pretty hot topic right now uh, with the reveal of Mother Ostenkia and all the shenanigans that are coming with her. She has not quite had her feature week yet. I imagine they're going to be saving her for last because she's kind of the most unique of the uh, characters that are being introduced. However, uh, Andy, uh, a lot of that is very near and dear to him because he it is wrote a lot of it <laughs> i did so um 
without starting at any particular point, uh, way, way, way back in the midst of time, which is often how it starts with me, <laughs> when the world was young, but actually it wasn't that young, it was the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I was um, a part of a team that was to reimagine Kislev and bring it to a new audience. And we had a variety of material to draw upon, very little of which felt particularly Warhammer, particularly the older stuff from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. The primary source, for want of a better word, was Gavthorpe's Kislev Army List, which had been created for Warhammer. And it was scant on details. Beyond that, we had the old Empire Army list from 4th edition Warhammer, which was ancient, and then a variety of 1st edition sources and the occasional mention here and there. Plus, we also had um, the new versions of uh, Kislev that had been half presented in Mordheim and half presented in Warmaster. So we had to try and collate all of that together into something new. And the easiest thing to do would have been to just repeat that. Um, and it would have provided us with enough material to make a pretty interesting book. However, it wouldn't have done service to the setting that was hinted at throughout all of the books. By this point, we had a variety of fun novels. And I mentioned this in one of our previous streams. We had Riders of the Dead, for example, by Dan Abnett. We had Graham McNeil's novels that had pre uh, presented a slightly different version of Kislev again um, for the Ambassador Chronicles. And if you didn't know, the good old titular or uh, the uh, <coughs> eponymous uh, ambassador is actually kind of based on Sean Connery, just in case you didn't know there. So <laughs> if, you, if you wish, you can, if you read those books, you can imagine them going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and similar all the way I through. I didn't need that mental image, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> I've now ruined the books for you. So um, that's the Ambassador Chronicles, which I really liked. So we had all of this material. Um, and almost all of it, as was often the case with Warhammer material in particular, was focused on the top end. And the top end of Kislev were the Gospodars. They were the ruling, not just class, they were the ruling people. Because they had invaded Kislev approximately a thousand years ago and pushed everybody else back. Now, the reason for their invasion at this point was not clear. The... Uh, effects of what this had had upon the local peoples and what the empire had looked like before that at that point was not clear so it was our job to fix all of that but one thing in particular was massively underserved and that was the ungols now the ungols had been described at length in various places but they'd never really had much additional detail provided now the ungols are not the gospodars let's make a couple of things really clear right from the beginning the gospodars are what everyone imagines with these tall kislevite blonde red-haired sometimes black hair very white looking um uh peoples where if you look at the uh Ungols, they were very different. Now, if you want to get some sort of real-world comparison, they're much more close to Mongolians in terms of how they were presented. Their ethnicity was very different indeed. Um, they were all dark-haired. Um, they all had a darker skin color and tone as well. They were a shorter people. They were a rougher people, and they've been dealing with the chaos uh, hordes coming from Norska for a long time. And they were tough tough people, difficult to push back, but they got pushed back and the ones that got pushed back did not like it. 
And over the course of the next thousand years, they become almost a secondary part of Kislev. So um, that was what we had to pick up with. We had ourselves two groups of people, one of which was an oppressed people, the other of which was the oppressor. And uh, we were in a position where we had a clear set of witches for the oppressors, which were the ice witches. And we had a quite clear tone for how they should be presented. Although when we, I sat down and I recreated them, I changed them relatively significantly. Um, but there was nothing for the Ungols at all. They had the horse archers. Kislevite horse archers were all Ungols. They mm. had thanistas, um, that was communities that were entirely Ungol with their own rotas, that's groups of people, a, a circle, a rota, um, that were working from them. They had their cossars, they had their people from the uh, uh, <clears throat> from the steppe, but they didn't have the winged lancers because they were obviously from the gospodars. They didn't have all the big, tall, muscled... Um, uh, and armored folk these were all low low income leather clad heavy furred warriors with bows um but exceptionally good horsemen um but no magic at all which made literally no sense because they were the peoples that were facing off against the chaos hordes again and again and again mm. so we went and dived into all the existing lore that we had for kislev and there was nothing really there to dive into so instead we dived into the broader lore for eastern europe and i don't just mean russia i don't just mean the various other countries that sit around it. i mean just the eastern europe european blanket area in general um and took what we could from that as a starting point and the number of uh legends of Let's just pull out the one obvious one, Baba Yaga. Mm. Um, but the number of legends of old witches um, doing things, not just in Eastern Europe, but from Germany over, your Hansels and Gretels and the ugly witches that lay on in the inside. So we wanted to subvert some of those tropes because the immediate thing that you think of when you jump on these ancient, horrendous, evil witches that live in the forest that are out to eat your children or somehow um, pervert your men by taking on a glamour and appearing like a young woman and making babies with them and ruining marriages or whatever other story you go for as they carve people up into various ways is to view them as the bad guy and mm. given that he was with the oppressed people that was the perfect place to begin by saying that that is a lie it's not true that the, the, the hags, as they eventually came to be called, although they don't call themselves hags, they called themselves the wise women. Um, the circles, the rotas, um, the small krugs that sat in there, um, of uh, wise women that advised the communities um, were probably single-handedly responsible for ensuring that the depredations of chaos did not affect the Ungols, and more importantly, did not affect the empire because they were part of that large buffer that defense network that lay between troll country and norska and what came afterwards so the next job was who the fuck are these guys exactly how does it work and we uh, relatively early decided that the young goals had some quite clear gendered roles um men were considered to be the fighters women were considered to be the brains in many respects although both sides would often argue that it was the opposite um so the uh, circles of wise women, um, they were there and they were elevated. And why they were so important was because they all had the sight. 
They could all see, but they could see in a way that no other witches pretty much in the old world could because they could see chaos. They could see its actual effect on others. Their sight was slightly more attuned, but that was for the more trained ones. Every single uh, Ungol girl that had the sight would be taken aside and we'd get interviewed by the circle of wise women. And those that were see seen to have the proper sight would be inducted into the wise women. So every single one of these wise women had the sight. They had the ability to see the winds of magic. They had the ability to see, most importantly, spirits. Now, what the wise women could do that pretty much no other magic channelers across the old world could do was figure out how to do magic without touching the winds of magic itself. In many respects, you could argue that they're doing something <clears throat> similar to the dwarves. The dwarves hmm. are channeling the winds of magic through their runic items and through the skills that they have to put the winds of magic into material objects. They do it with a different way. They persuade, cajole, make deals with, and otherwise have pacts with spirits. The more powerful, the more ancient, the wise women, the more spirits that they're able to draw. When a hag is at its most powerful, when a wise woman's at her most powerful, is when the most spirits are about them, not when the winds are strongest. In any other type of magic, you've got the winds waxing and waning all over the place, and you get bonuses, or you get negatives about <laughs> how much wind there is in the area. Not the case for the hags. They didn't use the winds of magic at all. The spirits did it on their behalf. The spirits were the ones that were working all of their magic, but they didn't do it for free. Because hmm. why would they? It came at a cost, and a big cost. And that cost was their youth. They pretty much sucked their life out of the wise women. Now, not all of the wise women were capable of doing magic. But those few that could, those few that could actually affect the spirits were the ones that, perhaps seeing it as a curse, would lose their youth. Sometimes, those who suffered a great loss... Those who were widowed, for example, particularly because it's directly related to the spirits of the ancient widow, um, they would be almost granted the power by the spirits. But in turn, they took the youth away. Uh, wise woman in her 40s might look like she's in her 80s if she's able to affect the spirits. An old, proper hag will look like she's well past her hundreds. Teeth that are black, skin hanging off her flesh. Fingers dripping down, the skin hanging from her in blackened clumps. They're disgusting. Truly mm. <laughs> horrible entities. Um, if you take a look at, for example, how this has been interpreted for the Mother Ostenkia um, version of it, she is, by comparison, uh, an almost a young witch. She, if you take a look at the visuals in comparison to how it was originally imagined, they have decided to go for a far more, let's say, gentil example of it. She looks almost... <laughs> She just looks like an average old woman with a couple of little details. <coughs> Take a look. My teeth are a bit funny. My, my claws are a bit off. Where the um, hag mothers, the really old ones, because for all they take their youth, they don't take their vitality, and they never let them die until they actually die. Some of the oldest, like the sea hag, is said to be well over a 1,000 years old herself, possibly 2,000. She's proper ancient, and she lives beneath the bottom of the ocean and is the, probably the most disgusting thing that anyone has seen in their life. Because every time she works her magic, the spirits take something else from her. So, cut a long story short, as our quick introduction, the hags were created to be an ungol representation of the Ice Witches of Kislev. 
so that the young goals had something that they could balance off on their side because we wanted to make sure that the Realms of the Ice Queen was not just the book about the Gospodars. It was a book about two peoples, an oppressed people and an oppressing people. And these two peoples working together sometimes, not working together other times, but both of which had an outside enemy that most certainly would destroy them all chaos and often they had to work together but often they literally hated each other and the mm. hags in particular were pitched as bad guys often by the gospodars but in truth were the ones that had the true understanding of chaos in a way that no others did were not immune to it just like no one else is immune to it but were fully aware where they themselves could fall because they could see it within themselves because they had a sight quite like anyone else most importantly, though, as a nice finish to this somewhat preambly long chat <laughs> gets going, the hags were given one power that no one else in the entire game was given. It was a unique power. And that was the power to, under certain unique circumstances, remove mutation. Yes. And that was done for more reasons than just it fit thematically for the hags, which it did. But it's also because it's a roleplay game, and sometimes you get a PC with a mutation, and it's always good to have an epic quest to try and get rid of that thing. And the epic quest in this case was, let's hike our way all the way to Kislev, go past all the major cities, into the wilds, into the open oblast in the snows, hike out to a tiny little village be told about an ancient baba somewhere or another who's somewhere else in the forest surrounded by spirits and some of those spirits are truly awful hike your way to her and then get her to say yeah it's all right i'll sort that out for you what would be the cost and remember of all people the hag witches understand cost yes so uh mr Vorn, yep you got it you figured out the ungles and the ropesmen in a lot of ways i think um Michael, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Hey. Uh, so, um, there's a lot of different things there to pick apart. There's a, there's a lot in there, and we're just going to... I'm going to just do my job and start plucking at strings. Um, so, uh, and for anyone watching, uh, I know a lot of y'all are very excited about uh, Total War. We will be addressing how these things intersect. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, we're just... We're going to get through more of the classic lore, and then we'll meander our way into the game, because... There's a lot of differences there, and something that I think Andy has said a lot, and I talk about a lot, is when we're dealing with Total War, we have to understand that we're, we have to get through a filter to get mm -hmm. to the game, because the game can't represent everything faithfully. It just can't. Uh, it, has to, it has to make sacrifices in order to make a possible game. <laughs> so, uh, we will, so we'll work our way to that. Uh, I see a lot of comments about it. Don't worry. We'll get there. Um, but first, we got to understand what we're working with first. So... Um, I think the most important thing to talk about, because it came up a number of times, is we, you, we, you mentioned <laughs> words. <laughs> you, <laughs> you talked about that the hags seem to have a lot of really unique powers. They have a unique ability to see chaos. They have a unique ability to interact with chaos and to be able to interact with the winds or uh, magic itself through this very specific relationship that, from what we've seen, of the Warhammer world does not appear to be anywhere else, at least in the old world. So the question is, why? Where does that come from? What What is the origin of that power? Who gave that to them? So there is purposely written a great deal of vagueness here. 
um, because there are certain things that you want to answer in the lore and there's certain things that you want to leave open for other people to potentially take in different directions anyway in the future. As you, for example, Total War took everything in a very different direction for the needs of their game. And you'll find that when the old world comes along, they'll take everything in a different direction as well. Hmm. Um, and much of what we understand as established lore will become very quickly old as it will be replaced with something new. Um, so you always try to leave space for that because the more vague you write, um, the more likely it is that the next generation comes along and goes, oh, I really like this idea that's been left open. I'm going to do this with it, which means that it gets expanded into something new and it doesn't invalidate what came before. Instead, it adds to it. But there was certain things put in place. Number one, um, their magic is um, old. Uh, their magic comes from, we're talking pre-Sigmar times with the Ungol tribes. The Ungol tribe in particular did not answer the call to Sigmar. Uh, Sigmar did a hmm. big call out to all the tribes that were inside the Reich Basin and beyond. And that's right up to the World's Edge Mountains, up to almost Troll Country, all the way over to the edge of Bretonia by Corona. That entire area, as far as um, Sigmar was concerned, was something that he could draw upon when he went to help High King Kurrigan at Blackfire Pass. The Ungols were one of the tribes that refused that call and forever were on the outside of the Empire because of this. And they were, because of this, when we were discussing it, very much given a far more independent nature, a far stronger independent streak. And they also had their own problems. And those, their own problems spawned from the fact that they were sitting on the border with, well, chaos. The realms of chaos are not so far away to the north. Not necessarily a good thing for them. But beyond that also, they were protecting something. And this is the big what. And that thing was always left relatively vague. The ancient widow, Mother Kislev, mm. the motherland, the mother, the land, whatever you wish to call it. Uh, some form of entity that was filled with grief. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons the word widow was used repeatedly. Absolutely filled with grief. And uh, an entity that is directly related to two things in particular. One, cold. Her heart is frozen. Completely and utterly dead in some respects and two spirits of a variety of different kinds. And that was put in place for uh, a mixture of reasons, many of which were tied to the sources that we were drawing from, from across Eastern Europe. Um, but the spirit aspect was super important. Um, if you take a look at the Hag's rules as they were presented in second edition, for example, they could very easily pick up spirit familiars, and they would be um, spirits that you recognize from the game today, dryads. For example, mm -hmm. one of the spirits that a hag might have as just one of their familiars. Um, naiads, of spites, smaller spirits, bigger spirits, and the older hag mothers. Truly massive spirits of the land that represent, well, you name it, they could probably have it correlated to them. So the first question is, do they get the power from Mother Kislev? And the answer is, in this case, not really. What they have done is they found a method of using Mother Kislev's spirits, perhaps with her approval, perhaps to help her, perhaps she's frozen, perhaps she's even Arianka, if you wish, as has been posited by more than one potential theory. I purposefully 
did not want that um, answered in the lore. Um, that As a quick writing. aside, for those who don't know, wh who or what is Arianka? I was about to say, yes. Arianka was originally a goddess of law, and that is almost heretical by modern Warhammer standards. Where Originally, when Warhammer was first created, it had both gods of chaos and gods of law. It was copying Michael Moorcock's cosmology directly. Uh, Michael Moorcock was an author th throughout the course of the 60s up to now who wrote a variety of books that are basically, oh, this is what Warhammer is based on. I thought it was something else. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I didn't realize. Um, and Chaos and Law were directly lifted from him and dropped down. The whole concept of beastmen have come from there. Mutants come from there. The whole concept of the Chaos Gods and how they work come from there. And the gods of law were the opposite of the gods of chaos, the gods of entropy, the gods of decay. On the other side, it was the gods of static nothing. And Arianka was a goddess of light um, who was frozen in place inside a crystal uh, casket and was often seen as deemed as nothing more than an adventure hook for a bunch of parties to go and try and rescue. Let's go rescue the goddess Darianka in Kislev. <laughs> That'll be fun. Now, that goddess, um, for a while, they weren't, Games Workshop weren't sure if it was even a name they could use because it was originally added by an author who had written a bunch of comics about Caleb Dark that was on Little Miniature, who was a chaos god called Malal, a fifth chaos power that got mm. dropped by Games Workshop, not because they wanted to drop it. He was the chaos god that wanted to kill chaos, um, but because they didn't know if they owned it. Um, they didn't know they could use it, and indeed, they didn't. So they kind of couldn't. But um, through time, oh, here we go. Interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we it's kind of kind of an interesting theory. I got an issue three. No clue if there's any lore basis. Would it work that Kaina Cade used the Widowmaker to make the widow making her heart cold, freezing Kislev? I'm not saying I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, the the. Uh, in my head, definitely. Um, but that was never written into lore. I think it's not just a great idea. Uh, I think it's an idea. <laughs> what explains that, that? Hey, that would be a really cool origin story for the name of that sword. Yeah, totally. So um, I was going to finish off on a thing there. Arianka, she is a goddess of law, <laughs> um, but she's been brought back into the lore in a variety of small places. In Realm of the Ice Queen, for example, she was mm -hmm. mentioned as a goddess who might be lying beneath Prague. Um, and there was a little aside about uh, uh, trips. The little almost tourist trips that were taken with from various dodgy people taking people down to see oh, Arianka. <laughs> this, is, this is the real follow, Arianka. Follow the signs, follow um, the signs. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but that's reinforcing <laughs> the fact that the legend is very real there. Um, and the the loose, gentle patent tie between the potential Arianka is the ancient widow is definitely intentional. That was always meant to be the point. Um, Arianka, the goddess that's frozen, the goddess that's trapped in the casket, consider almost a Snow White-like character um, all, uh, waiting inside that glass casket to be rescued by someone. Um, yeah. so, or okay. alternatively, their own purpose. Because so she we herself have, is sad. Yeah, we have supposedly, maybe, perhaps deep beneath Prague, which would become an extra troubling thought when you think about what happened to Prague. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, being that, you know, chaos literally bombed it into the realm of chaos, the poor bastards, um, down there in the depths. Uh, that's maybe one source for this, this ability, this legend. Then um, walk us through what is the difference between, okay, so let's, let's touch on probably the other two big ones, which are the idea of mother, mother Kislev or the motherland. And then the ancient widow as kind of entities. 
which is a, I know that's a very difficult dividing line. Yeah, it is. Um, and in fact, I would say, um, if you want to view it, let's go to the real world and think of the old Catholic Church and its triumvirate of, um, you know, mm. um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, here we've got Arianka, the ancient widow, and over on this side, Mother Kislev. Um, and are they just the same thing, just seen through three different lenses? Are they basically one and the same, or are they three separate things? So Arianka um, is sitting in the center of Prague, and indeed, just to answer the point that you said about nuking it, it's why um, that... That was what the reason that we sort of had behind the scenes for why chaos kept on going down through Kislev more than any other, because they were after what was sitting in Prague. Um, in the same way that they keep on going for Middenheim, because they're after the Flame of Ulrich. In the same way that they mm. keep on going for um, the Shrine of Azurin, because of the Flame of Azurin. Each one of these are exceedingly important points, and Prague was one of them. Um, anyway, that aside, the uh, <laughs> Mother Kislev... Um, so we were so vague um and you'll find that people have added on it later um but loosely mother kislev was often given to the more frozen side um so the uh yeah it, it comes off more as like a kind of classic guardian more entity though not not as benevolent as many guardian entities no um because no, that oh. that that's something I think worth touching on as well is that regardless of which of these entities you think it may be or uh, if they're if it's all of them or whatever, Kislev is not and nothing about it is really compassionate. No. Um, it is a cold land in literally every sense of the word. Yeah. Um, and j just to whatever it is that's under there, whether it is some great frozen demon which is one potential. Um, there was discussions behind the scenes, for example, that it was effectively the ninth wind of magic, but trapped outside the gate. Um, and it, the demon that was responsible for that left the gates and purposefully grounded itself through a rebellion. You know how much the demons love to rebel against their gods. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Um, and there was talk about that, not with, not in any real sense of this is what it is. It was just, a, oh, yeah, there's that. And, oh, yeah, there's that. The it's same it's way a possibility. That, yep. Yeah, the same way that we're discussing it right now. So it wasn't discussed in a, this is what it is. It was discussed in a, it could be this, it could be that. Um, and this frozen heart um, that lay in the center called to one of the uh, tribes of chaos um, uh, the Gospodars, because they lived out in the open steppe, mm -hmm. and, uh, and basically convinced them that they weren't a tribe of chaos. What they were was actually a really stubborn tribe that followed her, which is a completely yeah. different thing, and summoned them over the World's Edge Mountains, which sounds like it might take not too long, but literally took generations of warfare. Yes, but, okay, back to what yes, is what is Mother Kislev. So, it's... Uh, hmm. See, this is one I've always found harder to ping down. The ancient widow is much easier because okay, let's widow, let's do her first then. Let's yeah, do her first. Yeah, the ancient widow, as she was originally um, pitched, um, was um, not the source necessarily of the cold and the ice that lies within Kislev, but probably is. And the ancient widow is a harsh, bleak, mournful entity um, that lives in the heart of Kislev and is responsible for the enormous amount of spirits there. The spiritual activity in Kislev is far higher than it is in the Empire. And the Empire is already, you know, not exactly spiritually dead. Um, but there are spirits everywhere. And 
everybody's aware that you don't go into the forest. You don't go out into the old blast. You don't go over here. Not unless you've got people who understand what's going on there. And that's what the hags did. They were, in many respects, the, uh, the, the walking, talking shield against the absolute ire of the ancient widow, who mm. was potentially horrendous if you crossed her. Um, and the people of um, Kislev were considered to be her people, as long as you didn't cross them. The, the ancient widow was generally always more tied to the the uh, Ungols in terms of where she sat. And that's how she was pitched, where Kislev or the motherland and all the rest was very much pitched on the other side. And less strength was put on the widow's side when we were discussing it there. And much more strength was put on um, the Gospodars themselves and the... Uh, characters and strength that they themselves epitomized their stubbornness the the fact that they themselves considered themselves the bastion against um chaos that lay up to the north they always thought of themselves as a blessed people they had been called by the mother to this land to protect it they were a living embodiment of her will this was a special important land that had to be guarded and it was frozen to its heart when you go to say for example the great claws of urson that rise up um out that's actually a site not to urson but to the um to mother kislev herself um frozen to its very heart um and that's where for example in the uh, ambassador chronicles that the ice queen herself goes to channel the most possible um let's say ice wind for one better description to channel all of that to hold back an entire chaos horde pretty much by herself good job that girl yeah um yeah <laughs> nicely done um and does an enormous ritual and she does it there um because that's where the the mother herself almost feels like is um, residing although it got conflated with urson because of the various religions that were kicking around um but loosely on one side ancient widow mean fucking awful and spirits and on the other side frozen cold protect the land special but it's hmm. but you can it gets taken in new directions later yeah and uh and also, for anyone that's like, these sound cool, I want to do further readings. For the love of God, go find the Realm of the Ice Queen. It's very easy to find these days. Uh, there's a ton <laughs> of amazing stuff in there. Um, but, um, yeah, so there's there's a lot. So we have these three entities. I know I am always, though I, I am a genuine believer that all three of them exist simultaneously. I am always a very big Ancient Widow stan. Uh, I love the Ancient Widow. Um, for anyone that ever has the opportunity to pick up Realm of the Ice Queen, uh, it has artwork of her in it. Or, well, there is a there is a spell the hags can use to turn into her aspect, and it is the Ancient Widow is literally a horror movie monster. Um, she is not. <laughs> you do not want to screw with the Ancient Widow. What the hags um, become is the Ancient Widow in many respects. Um, the more they use the spirit magic, the more they yeah. become like her. Um, until the ones who've been using it for longest become the most horrific entities. We're looking at the proper old Baba Yaga legends with long iron claws and horrible things and teeth that are black and oozing with pus and eyes that are wicked and gleam out from heavy, massive eyebrows. Truly awful creatures. Yeah, and there's there's good a guys. <laughs> well, and th that's what I was going to say is that there's... There's a lot of really interesting things there of they are this force that stands opposed to chaos, mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that it itself is a horrific force. You know, a lot of people are used to the idea, I think, that in Warhammer Fantasy that the things that tend to oppose chaos are more like 
pretty or good or natural, but there are there are other forces out there that are significantly darker and also do not like chaos at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that would be probably the next really interesting question is um from from your perspective of looking for the hags specifically, what is their relationship of why for for a force that they themselves can be very nightmarish and nasty and they're working with spirits many of whom are very sinister um, and are not that different from demons why where is that line for them okay, of it's, it's an acceptable clear. force versus a chaos very force? Clear. yeah very very clear and this isn't even a slight boundary that you'd go oh do we have shades of gray here there are no shades of gray to them in terms of what is and what isn't and it's relatively easy to see so um before i go on to that i will say one thing we were very keen to subvert the standard tropes i was very keen let's be honest i was writing this bit i was very keen <laughs> to subvert the standard trope that ugly means bad um mm. and let's just make that as clear as we possibly can because um it's a standard trope in hollywood movies it's a standard trope in almost anything um nowadays and in some respects you can even see that with the most recent iteration of how the hags are being presented where she's really quite all right in the greater scheme of things she's not that ugly <laughs> and, it's not that bad. And, Andy, there's a joke i could make at your expense right now i'm not going to i just want yeah, you, you to probably know it's there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um right so anyway uh the dividing line what is the difference between the impending perverting horrendous corrupting chaos hordes and a storm and there lies the difference one is a force of nature one is not evil one simply exists one does not seek the dissolution of the world it's part of the natural order one does not seek to corrupt destroy and dissolve one is not a symbol of entropy and the wiping out of everything that we recognize as the mortal realms and the other side is chaos chaos is just wrong nature is not good or evil nature is just nature and the hags deal with spirits of nature and that means that some of them by mortal standards look tremendously evil capricious and terrible some of them are mischievous beyond compare but they are all part of the natural cycle whereas chaos is not it is imposing itself upon the natural cycle and attempting to destroy it so for your average uh uncle wandering through i don't know one of the old blasts somewhere hi i'm mr <laughs> uncle um and oh oh there's a bunch of nasty spirits over there i'll go and speak to the uh hag who might be able to help me out with this you speak to the hag can we go in there and the hag says no you don't want to go in there because that place is corrupted that place over there hasn't so that's where we're going to take you and mm -hmm. it may appear similar to them which is why they need the hags because to them it's just crazy spirit bullshit crazy spirit bullshit but to the hags, they're like, no, those ones have been corrupted by chaos because a uh, ritual was conducted there 400 years ago that corrupted the local spirits and have made, turned them wrong. And they're attempting to tear apart reality rather than be a part of it. Where over there, no, they're just normal spirits. They'll just kill you for normal reasons. Um, so that's what you need your hags for, to help protect you from these spirits. Make sure you go through the correct rituals. That's why every single Ungol Stanista, every one of their communities has got a circle of hags, has got, uh, they're not even a circle, has a circle of wise women. On of those wise women, probably three, four, five or six are proper hags. Women who 
and they might not like it. They might be sitting in their 20s or 30s, but they look like they're in their 80s or 90s mm. um, because the magic that they use, the spirits that they deal with, leeches their youth from them. And they are often, particularly by the circle of wise women, seen as figures of pity because they've been granted access to this great thing, but nobody wants it. It's it's a it's a horrendous burden to bear because if you, what if you're married and suddenly the sight comes upon you and then your husband looks at you the next day or your wife or whoever it may be and just you're, goes ah! <laughs> yeah well you're an ugly motherfucker get the hell out of here yeah and it, it that's, ruins things that's I think the core identity of the hags that I've noticed in reading um uh, for anyone that actually wants a really good hag character in a black library novel. Um, although like the series itself is super fun um, it's more of an interpretation of the full story as opposed to the full story but there's actually funny enough she's not Kislevite she's in the Empire because she's more of a classic witch but there's a hag character in the Sigmar trilogy by Graham McNeil who is excellently written of that it is it is a sacrifice to be a hag um, or a good witch um, like it is not nobody wants that deal it sucks like you yep. personally will get nothing out of it other than you are protecting the world and the people around you and they will hate you for it. I have a detail. I have a detail. So there's a reason that the hags are all women. And um, it's easy mm. to say that it's because of men's business and women's business, which is generally how the communities work. But in reality, the ancient widow herself does not deal with men. Just doesn't. So if you want to get access to the spirits and everything else, you need to be effectively a hag you need to be a woman and she will allow them to deal and treat with her which means that all the rest of them all the men who have the chance of magic are dealing with chaos mm. and because to be a wizard is to deal with chaos yeah and there's that interesting thread of you could see that and this is probably the next thing that uh would be kind of worth getting into which is really interesting of there is clearly a very strong connection between the origin of the hag's power and the origin of the ice witch's power. Um, and that they're women only, at least. There's uh, a yeah, there is a difference, but that's what I we should go into next of what is the difference. There is okay. something in Kislev that called, even though it had, if it's the same source per se, it had the hags, but it then went out of its way to draw in this other these conquerors to mm -hmm. almost punish the people that were defending it in the first place. Yeah. So there's a wonderful story there that was left open. And I think it speaks to exactly what uh, you're suggesting there, because are they the same entity or are they not? Because why would the ancient widow that supposedly supports the hags pull in the gospodars and wipe out their people to a great degree and push them to the edges and leave only really Prague showing any real Ungol identity anymore. Erengrad used to be their old capital. Um, and why? And that's a good question. And I'm not going to answer it because we didn't write an answer. And your answer is as good as mine. Um, what I can say, though, is that the Ice Witches are in a different place. Now, much like the Hag, it is a sisterhood. So we're starting from a very similar position. So you might think, well, it's the same beginning place. But unlike the Hags, their magic can be used by men. They just don't hmm. let it happen at all. In the slightest. If you can channel magic, if you're picked out as the um, ice witches make their way through the various communities, and if they find 
that there is a young woman. They pull that young woman and they can use magic into no, the system. Off to the ice court. Off, you off go. to the ice court. Away <laughs> you go. If you're a man, you're pretty much going to get killed. They kill hmm. you. And yeah. the reason they do, there's ways out of it. Like, for example, being really noble and getting shipped off to the Empire because, well, your family found out early you're going to be fine. There's something, there's something really interesting I want to discuss in a second about this, uh, but continue. I'll, I'll, I'll make the final point in it then. And that's that their men get killed for a reason. Because the Ice Witches have long had a prophecy, let's say, or a tradition or a belief that their magic will be forever tainted by an ice wizard, for want of a better description. The old shamanistic um, ice witch, perhaps, from Dark Omen. Maybe it's his <laughs> fault. Now, I had a real um, idea of exactly what was going to occur with that. Um, indeed, we even wrote the story of it, and I'm very amused, um, as I've looked at the beginning of... Uh, <laughs> very amused, when I look at the beginning of how Total War starts off with its um, story, because it was a relatively similar story. But effectively, um, uh, the Ice Witches believe that there will come a man who will taint the source forever. But you've got to realise that that is from their propaganda-esque uh, perspective. What does even taint mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, and it, it, there's you know there's that underlying thread of is it because the thing that called them told them that, or is it because the ice con queens were like we have power, we shouldn't surrender this, mm -hmm. or you know there's there's a lot that could happen there. And so one thing, uh, this leads this is a tangent, but it's a very interesting tangent, so I want to go off on it, which is that there is a very strong, um, law in the Warhammer world wow. over multiple continents, multiple races that men wielding magic will bring doom where yeah malekith has outlawed male sorcerers because there's a prophecy that he will be defeated by a male wizard and he's and he's like not even gonna risk it get rid of him yep. uh, same thing in kislev where there's no that you cannot have a male hag and the ice witches have a prophecy and the same thing in bretonia the lady of the lake does not tolerate male wizards they have to be sent away or else the Fey Enchantress will come to collect them and they're never seen again. Um, unless you read a super awesome short story that reveals what happens to them and it's super badass, but they don't become wizards. And they also never get to go home. Yeah. Um, what what is what do you think is going on there? Right. So um there's the canonical reason, and I say that with heavy quotation marks, and I mean what the large canon of work that Games Workshop has offered and is accepted says, and it says nothing. So let's be <laughs> absolutely clear on this. It does not bring this out and separate it and say it's a thing. They do, however, repeat it all over the place. And individual writers have come up with their own reasons and sometimes have made their own little niche corners where they've made little squeaky answers that might perhaps be the case. Yeah, it, it is eye-catching, though. It is. <laughs> it is now, um, in Kislev, there is a, a realm-wide belief across all of Kislev that men can't be trusted with magic, that male wizards will always corrupt and fall to chaos every single time they will always fall it's not a matter of when and i mean if it's a matter of when they are mm. convinced that the male psyche its aggression its need for power its need for control and whilst that may be a generalization the fact that that generalization applies to most is too much of a danger 
for them to accept. It needs someone who is much more careful as a generalization. And in terms of gender politics, that's where they've landed. And that is the case in Kislev. And their male wizards are hunted down and murdered. Right or wrong, that's what occurs to them. Now, is this because that's true? If you're in Kislev, the answer is yes. Is this because that's true over in Nagarov? The answer is no. Mm. They don't believe that male spellcasters uh, can't be trusted. And quite the opposite. They're, they're, they're fine with it. Um, it's just Malekith who's got a problem with that shit. Yes. And possibly his mum because of Malekith. And that pretty much ties that one down. Is that the case in Bretonia? No, the elves are doing something quite different down there. There is different stories in different places. However, there is an undercurrent throughout it all that uh, the human species is the most likely to fall to chaos. And beyond that, that men are much more likely to fall to chaos than women because of the power that they constantly, apparently, crave. <laughs> something, something, Arkham was a man, something, something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, but I just thought that was a very interesting through line there. Um, it's, I think it's a great one. And a good yeah, one to call so, out. Uh, so back to the hags, um, kind of leaning, uh, in, in, I think focusing more on this aspect of sacrifice, because I think it's a really interesting thing to delve into. And in that, like you said, something that a lot of people may not realize about the hags, that is a tragedy, but also something kind of inspiring and badass about them, is that their power is not their own a lot of the time. It is a relationship. It is a bargaining ship between them and the spirits where you have to realize that if you're, when you're dealing with a hag, this is an entity who, however old she is, the older generally being more powerful, just like with everything in Warhammer, generally speaking, this is someone who has to make these signed in blood uh, contracts with spirits, many of which are horrible, terrifying entities, but she is protecting her communities from said spirits by forming these bargains. Yeah. And she's almost like um, the classic example of a priest. Now, I know this may come as somewhat of an unexpected <laughs> outfield shot, but in um, most historical societies, um, religion was not the province of a priest trying to convert you to their beliefs. It was instead somebody who was there to tell you what you can and can't do because of the gods and to appeal to the gods when things were going wrong, and to try and hopefully abate their wrath. They were there not to convert and make you live a certain way. They were there to try and protect you from the gods, because they were the ones that understood them and were brave enough to actually treat with them. And in some respects, the hags are very similar. Um, they are community leaders in many respects. They have a, a circle um, of wise women that the hags are a part of, uh, that stand in, uh, let's say, almost balance with, say, the Atamans or the local rulers or the boyars. Um, and they sit on either side, balancing each other out, uh, making the decisions on behalf of their community. Now, they themselves, the ones that actually can treat with the spirits, um, let's be relatively blunt. Uh, much like all wizards in the Warhammer world, the more you use your magic, the more you become like it, um, if you're mm -hmm. a human. This is the case for almost all magic types in the Warhammer world for humans. And the more you try to treat with the spirits... Of yeah, the you will widow, shed your humanity. The more you become like the Ancient Widow and the more the spirits like you. Because the more you become like the Ancient Widow and the more you become like the Ancient Widow, the more powerful you become. And the more powerful you become, the more spirits there are, are 
going to listen to you. But the more spirits are going to listen to you, the more you become like the ancient widow, yeah, this... the less you are who you were, and the less you potentially care about the very communities that you were once protecting. Um, because you yourself become almost like a spirit, particularly when you're ancient. Take, for example, the only example of one of the really old ones we dropped in, as I mentioned before, was the sea hag. She's almost a force of nature. She, they see her as responsible for tsunamis and various other horrors that are inflicted upon Erengrad and the area around. Spirits that rise out of the water, horrible sea entities that do stuff. And they're all at the hag. The hag is not someone that anyone can treat with. They send other hags to deal with her. <laughs> yeah, because probably he, like, he, she's oh, geez. so beyond them. Yeah. Um, because she has taken that step almost too far. She's almost become a spirit herself. And if you want a, another view of that, it's a little bit like becoming... It's like a little bit like ascending and becoming a demon prince. Mm. Um, yeah. it's, they're, they're all similar cosmologies reflected in different ways in different communities. Um, but where some of them are part of the natural order of the world, as much as it can be described, others are perverting that natural order and twisting it to try and bring about dissolution of all things. So, Vakoma, uh, interesting question here of do you have to be a descendant from these tribes to become a hag? I would think the answer is... Do you have to? know? but it's probably starting at a disadvantage if you don't. Yeah. I mean, um, the Ancient Widow is an entity that has actual character. So don't think of this as something that is benign. Obviously, it's not. Um, but as something that doesn't have an opinion on things. It's got an actual character that down to individuals and how they interpret that when they write it up in various books, but it's got one. So that means it's got preferences and things that it does and it doesn't like. Does that mean that it's only going to go for one thing? For example, it will only allow its spirits to treat with ungol women? Possibly, but I would say probably no. If you were brought up in the communities um, of the ungols and you were raised there, it's very likely you could get, for example, a Gospodar child. Or, as is often the case with the Ungols, if you're looking at the Ungols, the Ungols, for all they've got a particular um, uh, racial background, they've got lots of mixed races between the various tribes that came about. There's lots of very different types of Ungols. Some of them yeah, are. and what, how, like, Kislev itself has shrank mm. and uh, grown over the years. Like, it used to go way further south into what we now know as the Empire. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, which they've shown uh, in uh, Warhammer the Old World, which I'm very excited for, is that Kislev is actually much further south than we're used to and I, I'm, I'm that's good um and uh where was i i was going to say something about that yeah so um do i think that it's necessary they come from that ethnicity that that ethnicity in particular probably in that belief system yes but do they need to come from as in those from those communities do you need to come from that bloodline probably not Although there is the belief for ice witches that the answer is definitely yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say ice witches are probably a different scenario. Yeah. Uh, so George P, uh, this is technically a tangent, I, but hey, I'll always let y'all throw money at us to change topics. <laughs> <laughs> throw <laughs> money, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what are our thoughts on the villains of Warhammer? I think they don't really progress their plans, and they seem to be too ambitious for their own sake and get shut down by Games Workshop. Nagash rules. I, okay, so. I think I think that's technically two different questions of if you're looking at the modern like whatever setting you're looking at the modern timeline yes your villains are almost virtually never going to get anything done because Gaines Workshop this is a big criticism I have of them they are often scared of change they like to create a static setting because a static setting louts them to sell minis more often easily because they don't have to justify like if a character dies 
well, do you keep printing rules for that character or do you like still support that character or do you go, oh, well, he's dead now. So we're not going to do that. And if so, what about the people that have invested into those minis? Like what's their situation going to be? And it's a lot of work to have a living setting and for your villains to be able to do things, you have to have a living setting or in the case of 40 K make your setting so big that nothing matters. Yeah. Um, then the villains can win. Um, that, that, and I, I think in a lot of ways, that's why 40 K was able to outpace fantasy of that. It could have what felt like a movie store moving storyline, even though it didn't, but it could pretend to, because they could just make up planets whenever they wanted. Warhammer did not have the advantage of it has a defined planet. So it's not as easily, it's not as easy to be like, oh, there's an epic conflict happening in the empire. Well, what happens if chaos wins? Like, yeah. I mean, that, that 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 was actually the problem of their summer campaigns because Warhammer had several summer campaigns. What they ended up doing was go, summer campaign, uh, actually, yeah, no, retract, that didn't happen. So, for example, the Storm of Chaos, a very famous one, where the chaos forces yeah. swept down into the Empire to take the flame of Ulrich. And when it was all finished, they all sat down and went, yeah, that definitely happened. It definitely happened, actually. No, it didn't. And then they did exactly the same again with the Nemesis Crown campaign. That actually took place way in the future shadows over albion nemesis crown yes right chaos. well the shadows over albion sort of almost managed to hang about for a bit and then get kicked out it, it, um, it hung around for a full edition yeah it did it, it was all right for a while but um nemesis crown i mean that actually legitimately moved this setting forward by almost two decades mm. um carl franz was old by this point he's an old emperor sitting on the throne it's not set in the in the same setting that we all know is the end times it's set after it it's like 10 years after it yeah it, um, it, it's it's kind of written almost post storm of chaos because it's yeah. like grimgore's back and like it's very fun read but, it, yeah. it's, it's it's some pretty crazy stuff and then they completely retconned that again dialed the time all the way back again and then moved it up towards that same date the sort of 25 22 area and then went yeah tiktok boom boom the world's end 25 25 gone yeah and uh, so to answer your question i love mm -hmm. warhammer villains but that's why i prefer to deal with before like 2512 uh because everything pretty much after like 2512 2515 generally kind of grinds to a halt and not a lot happens um because of that um yeah. but that's why i love everything before it because the villains because it's part of the timeline and like we see things happening and you get to see villains at their best um so yeah. in fact if you take a look at total war you can actually see the problem made manifest and you can see what total war has done to resolve the problem the problem with the ongoing villains rise and fall and good guys rise and fall is that you love some of those characters so you want to use them both on the good and the bad guy side so what have they done total war just said yep yeah, they're in the game but didn't they come <laughs> from a few hundred years ago yep they're in the game away they go Man, uh, at some point I, I will have to do a stream on it maybe, but like I have, I literally have like almost a crazy man, Peppa Sivlia board explaining how every single character exists simultaneously. It is <laughs> I, it like, does it work? Yes. Are there some stretches? You bet your ass there are some stretches, but, um, <laughs> But that's because those characters are cool. We want to yeah. play with them. And that's the problem that Games Workshop faced. Um, they had themselves a bunch of characters that they wanted to uh, use because they were so popular. But to advance them forwards and to put them into jeopardy was to potentially kill that gold mine. So they're not going to do that. So what did they do instead? Arguably something far worse. They just kept on 
putting more and more powers on top of them, more and more abilities on top yeah. of them to justify them somehow surviving. And it got stale. Um, and, and it got stale. All their characters became superheroes. Ridiculous superheroes. To okay. the point that you look at them going, what? Okay, I'll but say, yeah. I resent this comment. The whole point of Thankful <laughs> is that he fails into success. So how dare you? He's fine. <laughs> Thankful's awesome. <laughs> yep, agreed 100%. If Thankwell is successfully doing what he set out to do, then you're you're writing him wrong. <laughs> All right. So anyway, getting back to hags here. This is a perfect comment to get back to hags. How mm -hmm. do hags relate to shamans and hedge wizards? Because they seem very different, which they are in a lot of ways. They are. They're, they're completely different. Um, uh, the easiest way to um, uh, resolve this is they are completely different traditions of magic. Um, so you're as well saying, how do hags uh, work with, uh, well, I don't know, um, uh, sorcerers from the other side of the world? Or uh, more, more appropriately, how do ice witches work with uh, bright wizards? Because they are both basically doing the same thing, um, but they are completely different traditions of magic on two different sides of a very different political divide. Yeah, and it's 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 worth noting that, like Andy said earlier, the head the uh, the hags do not use the winds of magic in a traditional yeah. sense, which is exceedingly unique. Like, yeah, it, it's difficult to express how unique that is um, in yeah. the Warhammer world because using magic is almost universal, with the exception of the dwarves who can't. So yeah. they had to figure out another way. Whereas the hags theoretically could, but mm -hmm. found one hundred percent could. Um, the hags could use dark magic, they could use magic in, in general, but they just do not. All of their magical capability, if you want to drop it down to the actual thing of it, their witch sight, their ability to channel, their ability to sense what's going on, is all channeled towards spirits and manipulating them. Um, for example, in the rules, they didn't use um, skills like channeling, they used skills like leadership, command. They told the spirits what to do. Yeah. Uh, Luring Lion, thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, not sure if Andy is aware of this. So, spoiler alert! Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert! But in Total War's defense, the built-in narrative Warhammer Three actually advances with Katarin being victorious. Yes. So, okay. So, once again, very big difference between Games Workshop and Creative Assembly because Creative Assembly is actually telling a story um, yeah. where, like, they are actively pushing things forward, and also creative assembly works much better under the idea of like they're comfortable with people dying and you know what's funny is that if you go back in time there was a time when games workshop was comfortable with it too which is when i thought they were at their best like you could play with grom the paunch and gorbad iron claw and Azhag the slaughter a lot of the greenskin characters died but uh you could still play with them and it was fun and the, like they would literally have a note in the special character section saying if you play with this character just assume it's happening in the past or weird time shit happened don't worry about it just have yeah. fun and yeah, absolutely. The books, as they were presented at the army list, were not books about the present. They were books about that entire faction. Yeah, or Gothor the Beast Lord, another great example. Yeah, yeah totally. Sleep if you, yeah, if you were no. playing Orcs and Goblins, you would get the heroes from across time for the Orcs and Goblins because they were the standout characters where later army lists turned into what is the army in 2520? And that's it. And any of the older characters got pushed aside to be replaced by newer ones. In the original Empire Amulet, for example, it had Magnus the Pious as a, as a character. Um, yep. That's obviously 200 yes, years in the past. That is not a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. I would say that is not a coincidence at all in the, the writing there. So um, getting back to well, kind of the hags and the relationship behind them, because I, I just see a lot of really good questions coming up from the chat. So this is something we've kind of touched on a little bit of the hat. While the hags are a defensive force for Kislev, they are also very scary 
They're very unsettling. They're very gross, as Andy has said. And humans don't like those kinds of things. They don't like scary things. And part of those bargains they make with the spirits, if you have a spirit that prowls the forest, like, like a type of lesion or something, and the exchange is it allows the people to live in the forest and thrive in exchange for like a certain amount of blood or a life every 20 years or something. The hag fulfills those debts, but the people may not understand the point of those debts. And all they see is the payment they're giving without realizing the crisis they're averting. So to them, it's, oh, the hag's evil. Look what she's doing to us. Yeah, you've also got to, um, I, I would add that it gets even stronger, but the Ungol community in particular are pretty much almost universally in support. They argue with the, because you've got to remember that the wise women are parts of their community. They're mm. not a separate part. They don't lie on the outside. It's not like, say, the hedge folk who are on the periphery. These are people who live with them. Now, their hut might be on the edge because, let's be honest, it's it's the wise moment and no one really wants to treat with them too much because they're scary. Um, but nevertheless, well, they got, they're they part of the community. Them. But for the Gospodars, they are a challenge to their authority. They are fucking scary. And really, what is the difference between a demon and a spirit anyway? Seriously. Yeah, um, well, in their perspective, completely different cup of tea. Yeah, it, you know, it's that whole thing of like, there are menhir stones or way stones in the empire that are actively there to protect the world. That is their only purpose. And you'll have some Sigmarite come in and go, oh, that's the old faith. Knock it down. Screw this thing. Get rid of it. Um, yeah. It's because they don't understand it. And they're scared of what they don't be all over those hags as witches and burn them. Every single oh, yeah. last one of them. Because yeah, they're cheating with demons. Um, which hunter? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is, and, yeah. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you ever want to have really fun role play uh, stuff like the interaction between the old face or old magics and witch hunters is a classic. Mm -hmm. Um, So burn the witch. <laughs> I mean, burn the ugly witch. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. That's what, <laughs> one of the reasons why burning the ugly witch had to be subverted as a trope. When um, I was writing up that section, they had yes. to be the good guys. This is the goofiest comment I think I've read in a hot minute of uh, it's Bellicor all along. <laughs> it's Bellicor all along. Um, so, um, uh, some other things that I think, uh, some comments that I've seen come up that are interesting to talk about. So, one of the things that's really present in the Warhammer world is the sense that the Earth has power. That uh, a lot of magic or something that is akin to magic flows through the continents, flows yes. underneath the Earth, and it is often seem uh with the exception of when magic was at its absolute zenith it is often kind of showcases like the most powerful force present in the world uh with the geomantic web kind of being a very strong expression of that and kislev almost seems to feed into this idea where there's a lot going on beneath <laughs> bellicor is a saturday morning cartoon villain like yes he is scary but he is legit like him and thankful are surprisingly I think, well, I think is a little more on the nose about it, but if you think Bellacor is not that, you're totally wrong. Although, if you've watched my most recent stream, he possibly has made his first appearance. Mm -hmm. In terms of the stream. Mm. <laughs> it was um, Bellacor! <laughs> yeah, like, I just want to, okay, just for anyone watching that's not familiar with Bellacor's shenanigans, I just have to give one example that is my favorite because it's so stupid that it's funny. Of the one of the first times Bellacor got free from his imprisonment 
was that he went to the city of Mordheim after it got impacted by the meteor. He might have, who knows, he might have been involved with the meteor, but he possesses a chaos champion in the city and has this whole big scheme about, ah, I finally possessed a mortal body. I win. And then he tries to walk out of the city. And because Bellacor is so strong, his body just starts melting. And he's like, shit, I can't leave. <laughs> and he's just stuck. Mm. Like, he trades one I'm prison for another part. because he's a goof. Uh, and he ends up having to just sit in Mordheim and be the Shadow Lord and trying to eat enough warp stone that he can make himself strong enough to leave. And then he dies because he's an idiot. <laughs> it was Bellacor all along. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he's the best. I love I love Bellicor. Um so to pull back onto um, yes, hacks. Thing there. Um so uh we're looking at no no the geomantic web because I've got something mm -hmm. to say about that, but I'll let you finish off your point so you yes. can uh, so power power beneath Kislev. Kislev is all, Kislev is very unique in this um compared to a lot of lands. Um though I am really starting to like the ideas that Nippon is actually probably a very similar concept, but um with Kislev, it has all this power underneath it. Uh, like of all the lands, it's almost Athel level, uh, Athel Lauren levels of like it is. There is a sentience there. It seems to almost gather spirits to it that are active far more than anywhere else in the world. And uh, would love to hear you expand upon upon those concepts of. Like I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call Kislev like a geomancy active zone, but there is something, there's something going on there. Right. So yes, is the answer to that. Um, this, there, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, I've got, I've got a bit of feedback coming back in my side. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I don't, I don't hear anything weird. Okay, cool. It's just on my side then. Clearly nonsense. I'll ignore it. Um, <laughs> it's Bellacor. It was Bellacor. It was Bellacor. Like all talking shit. Um, right. So uh, let's make a couple of things absolutely certain, crystal clear. I am getting some feedback in here in my ears. So clearly something's coming from somewhere. I'll go chase it down when I stop talking. Um, so it's right. I'm not going to be able to talk. I'm not going to hear you now. That's really distracting. Uh, so. Ice magic is real. There is no doubting that ice magic is real. And ice magic is only really in Kislev. Now, you can go beyond Kislev as an ice witch, and you can still use it, and you can do things. It's less powerful. But ice magic itself is sourced there, and it comes from the land. There are ice flows that make their way over, like the winds of magic, through the great oblast. The oblast is frozen permanently for a reason it's at the same level as many parts of the empire in fact it's much lower than most parts of nordland and ostland and yet it's frozen across its entire length almost entirely uh now obviously there's bits where it's melted and it's in constant permafrost um but it is underneath the ground always frozen and that that has to come from somewhere it is mentioned that there are ice flows crisscrossing the land. It is mentioned that it is almost like it's a miniature geomantic web. There are two ways you can interpret it, and there are all the extra ways on top of that you can make up. The two obvious ways you can interpret it is that it is somehow... Um, I'm still hearing whispers coming back in this. It's really annoying. Uh, that it is somehow um, tapping into something older, and it has been plugged by whatever the Ancient Widow is. 
whatever, say, Mother Kislev is, depending on which name you want to use and which mm. creature you want to say it is. And it has frozen this power in place and has granted this power to its protectors or to its, uh, you could almost say its avatars that sit above the Ice Witches. That would be one way of viewing it, that uh, there's this plug that's managing to pull stuff out. But if that were the case, and if it were directly tied to, say, the geomantic web, there would be Lizardman bullshit all over this. <laughs> That they there just would be. They would be seeing that their master plan, the great plan, had been disrupted, and they would go, "Well, this bullshit has to stop somehow." And this has been going on here in Kislev now for at least a thousand years, probably longer. So hmm. probably two thousand at least. And if that's the case, that's two thousand years for the lizard men to say, "Oi, ancient widow." Fuck off! Yeah, <laughs> which means that it's almost certainly not that because we don't have long-standing uh, tales of lizard men attacking Kislev for one reason or another, or even infiltrating it, or even discussing it, or being bothered by that weird place on the other side of the world. So to say that it's tacked into Diamantic Web as option number one seems weak, but it doesn't mean it's not true. The second most likely one is that there's some sort of blockage to the Great Vortex's Winds of Magic. Um, so the Great Vortex that gathers all the Winds of Magic at Ulthuin has a network of menhirs across the world, the Waystones, and they channel magic in that direction. And perhaps doing almost exactly the same thing, but on a different level, let's say geomantic level below, and then elf network above. The elf network above is disrupted. And somehow the spirit that sits in there is channeling all that shit into there. Now, could that be the case? Is it some sort of oh, filter for the winds that turns it into ice and somehow cleanses it, meaning that they don't suffer from the same curses that all the rest of the wizards across the world suffer from? Instead, they just get frozen, which is <clears> not great. <throat> Um, as they channel the ice wind, for want of a better description, if they do that badly, the wind itself will freeze them in place and, and chill their hearts until they are passionless, horrendous, empty monsters. So that's a slightly different downside to what the rest of the wizards are dealing with out in the yeah. world, but it's still a downside. So, At least you don't explode, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you don't explode. Woo! Instead, you freeze. Um, woo! Um, and there's a in, in the Kislev book, for example, there's um, a, a noted almost fever um, where you can lose yourself to the ice, where you lose yourself completely, your compassion. You become a psychopath uh, to the nth degree. Mm. Um, and one of the rumors in that book is that the Ice Queen's cousin has gone that direction and she's protecting her. Um, and she's just going around murdering folk with her ice magic. Um, so clearly the, the spirit that is doing this, if it's a spirit, is potentially nasty. So we've got this potential demon stroke, Mother Kislev stroke, possibly good guy, whatever you wish to call it, sitting underneath there, channeling all those winds and turning them into something else. That's a separate option. Or option number three, it's benevolent. It's great. It's just Doubt a spirit it. that lies down there that's created its own network that's but somehow built its own stones that are because it, it is worked through ancient stones just like all the rest of them. So it mm. does really look like high elf work when you look at the actual cosmology of how these things are put together. Not cosmology, the timeline of how these things are put together. But, you know, have made their own network of stones and perhaps they're related to another ancient species. And uh, there's a couple of mentions to um, centaurs, for example, that used to live there that did not were not centaurs. Um, uh, they yeah. get given different names at different points in Kislev. Sadly, um, as I recall, Dan Abnett called them the Scythians, which is 
far too much of a real world um, reference to really be the best option. But then, hey, we've got Prague. <laughs> <laughs> I. I do love Warhammer Prague. Uh, <laughs> me too. I do as well. But um, then you go, oh, wait a minute. Is that just Prague? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, some, yeah, uh, some interesting things there uh, a lot. And so, okay, we have a lot of people who are a lot of, there's a ton of people being like, wait, so are ice witches like chaos dwarves and that they literally turn to ice statues? Um it's, no, I mean, it's more it, of a it's more of a spiritual curse, not a physical uh, curse. Oh no, it's a physical one as well. Um, but they don't wander around covered in ice. It's just they might freeze up and that's it, and they're gone. Um, don't think of it like that because that is when things are going wrong. That's when it's gone off. With the chaos dwarves, it's an inevitability because their system is so antithetical to the magic that it basically turns them to stone. There that's one way of putting it. Um, yeah. with ice witches it's when things have gone wrong they've channeled too much of it perhaps and it freezes them in place they go too far or they've just messed up it's a little bit similar to um mishaps uh on the warhammer table a little bit similar to zinch's curse in second edition or similar to a, a, a miscast in the fourth edition of warhammer fantasy roleplay so Andy, you yeah. probably know this yes um so hag magic doesn't have a true name um because it's not actually doing any magic. not a wind they're not yep. channeling the wind. They're not doing anything. Ice magic behind the scenes did have a name. It was Kishil. And I have that written down somewhere. It's spelled with a Q. Um, uh, but yeah, Kishil. Uh, so and purposely named quite close to Akshay as well. Because um, the idea was behind that, that possibly it was actually a wind of magic that had somehow been subverted or moved. Yes. Um, so some interesting things. Um if a man in Kislev, uh, Maharaja, and yes, that is that is what is essentially is implied. Um, it, I know, uh, no, if a man in Kislev shows magically he's not sent to Altdorf, he's killed. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, sorry. If, if you notice your child might, if you are, if you live in Kislev and you realize your child might have magical ability, that is your only option, probably to save them. Um, yeah, but most people in Kislev don't know that. Remember, the world is a really big place, and our overview knowledge of the colleges of magic just doesn't exist in Kislev. They don't know about it. They just know that, you know, there's strange foreign wizards in foreign lands. That your average Kislevite sitting in Kislev would be like, fuck, my son is, is awful. Uh, their <laughs> yeah. only choice is to do what they do in the Empire. Throw them out into the Oblast and hope. And they do the same in the Empire when they get mutant kid. Throw yeah, it so out really, if you're if you're a guy in Kislev, don't just don't. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it's also worth saying that magic generally doesn't come until you hit your teenage years. Anyway, it's very rare that it comes when you're very young. It does sometimes come when you're very young. There's um, many stories of kids who've unleashed magical awfulness, X Men style, around them. But normally, it comes in your later years, and the colleges of magic very rarely take anyone over the age of twenty five. So it can come that late, as late as 22, 23. So it's not so much, uh, uh, you know, my kid. It's generally much more of a me. Oh, shit. Wait, what? I'm a fucking run, 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 run. Mm, yeah. And the story is them being on the run, not their parents who are looking at their 24-year-old kid who's got two kids of their own. Slightly different world. Yep. I imagine that could be fun to explore, but I imagine that's never been touched on. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to write our own freaking army list for this. I don't tempt me. Um, so, um, some so wheeling my my way back around to the the hags for a bit. Um, so, uh, something that has kind of come up a lot, uh, especially recently with Mother Ostenkia, is that Mother Ostenkia is an original character. Uh, she is new to the setting. 
because um, as some people might, uh, pretty much I think anybody, especially if you're younger like I was, reading through the realms of the Ice Queen, you're looking for that Baba Yaga character. You're looking for the big hag. There is no big hag. Andy, why is that? Um, I purposely avoided it, actually, to, um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, <clears throat> right, the, the real reason, if I was to plug one down, um, was because the studio... Uh, generally didn't take on board anything that was written for the role-play games until they did. And when they did, they liked to make their own characters. They liked to have their own ones. So, for example, on the Ice Queen side, it was super easy. We had their character, the Ice Queen, and we could use that directly. To do the same on the other side and to create a character that would be ultimately their character would mean that it would be overwritten because they would create their own one because they always did. So the idea was to try and make sure that we were in a position of inspiring the studio rather than being in a position where the studio came along and just overwrote everything we did. So um, when I was working on it, I had that in the back of my mind and I was like, do I want to create a Baba Yaga-esque figure? And my first instinct was immediately, well, no, because I don't want to take someone else's, rip someone else's culture apart and turn it into just a fantasy creature. I don't want to do that to begin with. Um, so if I was doing it, I'd create my own one. That was my first thought. Um, and then I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to be putting, as I recall, I put three um, sample characters for hags in there. One of them was the sea hag, for example. Um, another one is a hag that's um, running effectively a chaos camp. So a bunch of mutants. Um, that from mutant ungols and they are just sent to chaos to die. Um, so rather than kill their mutants, they actually take them, train them, and send them north. Um, and the witches were responsible for that, um, the hags in particular. Uh, but I decided that for all it, I could, it would be better not to. So Games Workshop did decide to run with it. They could add their own character to it rather than go, you know what, this is a great idea. I'm now going to overwrite the whole thing. So that's so, largely what's happened here. Yeah, okay. So in light of that, um, when looking at Mother Ostangia, who we, we have noted is not as... For, by Total War character design standards, she is a hideous, nightmarish <laughs> old woman. It's just that Total War standards are a little silly. <laughs> um, how do you feel about Mother Ostangia based on what we know about her so far? Which, granted, is not a lot. She isn't being featured for another two weeks or so. Yeah, totally. So we're, we're going to learn more. And that's part of the fun of these things is to see how other people run with the things that, and for me at least, the, th the things that I created in the past. Um, what do I uh, think? I think she's great. I think that they've um, taken the idea that exists and they've largely run with it. They've not um, come along and gone, uh, yeah, that was a great idea. I'm going to completely change it, make it into something new. It's largely what it was. There's still a bunch of hags because it's not just her. There's also hag mothers, apparently, extra cartridge you can bring in. They're using the Winds of Magic per se. Um, but you could argue behind the scenes that they're actually using not that and it's just how their magic represents. That's what I'll think in my head. It'll be my own little personal head cannon. Um, but she, her, <laughs> she herself um, is coming in with a whole bunch of spirits, um, doing spirity stuff, being an ugly old hag woman who is uh, closely associated with the young girls. Um, is she anywhere near ugly enough from what I would expect? Uh, no, she, it's not just she's not ugly enough. She's not old enough. Have you yeah, seen the way they interpreted um, um, ugly, Hello, ugly... Ron? 
Yes, <laughs> I have. I haven't actually seen Hellebone, like, and I don't. You have, have to understand what we're working with when it comes okay, to right old now. ladies. Like right. Hellebone, look. Did you ever Hellebron's see the... just flat out sexy with wrinkles? Like, oh, she is not, is she? <laughs> yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm going to actually look her up. Hella, uh, Hella Braun. Uh... Uh, it's 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 a limitation of the medium. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure if they were like bringing an artist to draw Mother Ostankia, she'd probably be way nastier looking. Oh, shit balls. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Oh well, I'm gonna holy shirt balls. <laughs> it's, it's holy forking shirt balls. Yeah. yeah, that's not my Hellebron. <laughs> yeah. So like, let's 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 understand that it's a limitation oh, of the engine. That being the case, <laughs> he's great. Yeah. Um, what, I also really like. Yeah, totally. I also really like the um, addition saying that she was using that they had to collect ingredients together to get off the, the special hag ritual malarkeys that she was doing. Because inside the core rules for the <clears> hag. <throat> inside that i created they literally couldn't cast their spells without the uh, the ingredients because the ingredients were what enticed the spirits to them they used the ingredients to bring the spirits to them which the spirits would then be commanded and manipulated with their magic not the winds of magic it was literally them manipulating the spirits and they wouldn't come without certain packs being in place or whatever so that's all in place so pretty much everything that i originally created is there it's just not quite we edited it but whatever it's a different game if you take a look at warhammer and compare it to total war nothing is quite the way that it was originally <laughs> presented because they've gone their own way and that's one of the reasons the game has managed to succeed so well it's because it's managed to take all the shit we love and squeeze it in somehow even if it doesn't really fit into a gigantic world spanning war game they've still squeezed it in and me personally i adore that because they've done a lot of hard work to make it all come to place yeah, so there there are some uh, criticisms that I think are worth addressing at this point uh, relating to the game, kind of the natural segue into talking about the game for a bit. So a lot of people, and this is something that I can go ahead and say that I'm working on a video on because I'm going to be pushing for it, but that's due more to the price discussion than anything else. Of There's no lore of hags, Andy. Where's the lore of hags? And the answer to that is kind of complicated in that, like, I think at this point there needs to be one, but from, like, if you step back a level the lore of hags really is not a regular like it's a weird thing because it's super easy to translate though here come the spirit yes. I, I agree but like i could see why initially they might not have looked at it as oh that's something we should do hmm. uh because it's it's kind of almost more of a it's it tends to not it doesn't come off as a battle lore a lot of the time it yeah, tends to come I, off you... more like subtle little curses and little things that are more from a role play perspective are significant but on a battlefield are significantly right. more subtle. i'm going to address that directly because um i think it uh i think it's a flaw of warhammer fantasy role play second edition rather than a flaw of the potential for a lore for hags and by that i mean the second edition of the rules was very much pitched at low tier play they quite clearly stated that things like battle wizards that you'd find in the battlefield, grail knights, and the top tier shit literally couldn't be represented by the rules. They couldn't even figure out how to get grail damsels in because they were too powerful. Um, <laughs> so the top level hag witches, the lore of hags, so to speak, isn't covered by what's inside the book. The stuff that's hmm. inside the book is the same as this, the crappy little spells that you get for all of the lores of magic inside the core book. And they might sound like they're doing a bit, here's a fireball running over, but in comparison to the bullshit that you can pull when you're playing a game of Warhammer, as you pull fire down from the sky that kills 150 folks, 
you don't be doing that too well with the role-play game in the second edition. The fourth edition, to a degree, started to tackle that, but has not yet nailed it, I think. Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to ask is, if you could choose between like a lore of hags it, that is would be implemented on a character so not as a like a faction mechanic but like an individual character mechanic do you think it'd be more appropriate for it to be more like a selection of abilities that are unleashed and have like little cooldowns and stuff or do you think it'd be more appropriate for it to be a lore of magic where you are using from your winds of magic pool to unleash spells now, I, I don't not, think either of those are necessarily ideal. Yeah, um, I would create a new mechanic. I think I don't. I wouldn't be happy using the lore of the winds of magic uh, rule, but I would be happy using a rule that's almost identical to it that says the strength of the local spirits. So, what you could do, for example, is your hag character would be far stronger beside the trees, far stronger beside the rivers, far stronger beside you know areas that are marked to be high spiritual activity. As you move across an empty area, their um, winds naturally drop down, for want of a better description. You could easily build it so that the hag has mm. got their own mechanic, but I'm I haven't played the game enough to be able to say this is how to do it. I'm well, literally no, I, making shit up. Off I, that that actually immediately jumps some interesting ideas into my head. Of like the, the the game does have some ways to tell when you are standing in terrain. Granted, it's pretty it's pretty basic because it's like whether you're in a forest or a water feature. But that's still something to work with. It's still a start, uh, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think that would be a super fun mechanic because it would immediately change the nature of how those armies start to move around in the battlefield because the hags themselves would want to skirt certain um, types of scenery which might not be strategically to their benefit in terms of where the battlefield uh, it lays out. Um, the hags themselves would have very little power inside cities or sieges which is, I think, quite fun, but they'd have to pull the spirits out from the trees and then have the spirits go and do all the work. Yeah, um, I, I, I have some back. ideas. I have some ideas for how that could work. Now, granted, it, it'd have to come with the concession that the Lord Hags would kind of have to be kind of a regular wind of magic, or uh, it would have to be treated like a wind, but there yeah, are I things you could do with it. with it. Yeah, I uh, think that's how deal with it. That's how Second Edition did it. Yeah, Silence of Virtue. Kislev hey! feels kind of weak to me theme-wise, since all of their armies are seem like they're composed of Gospodars, kind of torn on making the beast elemental. Okay, so, okay, this is an interesting thing to touch on from a game perspective. First of all, thank you for the super chat and all that. Um, so, first of all, I think a very common misconception is that the Kislevite armies are Gospodar. They're not technically... The game does not go... It does not call out your Ungol units, but you do have Ungol units... They're just not very well represented. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They did not go out of their way to make them notably different, which they should have. But technically, like your Kosovite dervishes, your uh, Kislev horse archers, and your unarmored Kossars, those are your Ungols. That's your Ungols. They are literally your Ungols. They look like Ungols? No. No. They uh, are. Like, if they, they should be more distinct. But that's who that's that's who they are. If you um, want to see someone bitch about this at length, wait till I start playing this game online, and you're going to hear me bitch and Andy, bitch and bitch. I, I want to reveal a secret to you that I have not told you yet, and I don't oh, think you oh, know about it. I don't. You, so, uh, Prince Yuri, uh -huh. uh, which chat no spoilers. I'm aware of this card because I started the game. And that's yes. It. Chat no spoilers. Don't don't tell don't him about anything. I'm not looking at the chat. Just in yeah. Case do not do not that. tell him what happens to Yuri because we want him to. I want to. We want to see his reaction live. Mm -hmm. um, which hey, make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel and Twitch channel so that you'll oh, see when he goes live, so slang. that you can watch that. Yeah, man. So, <laughs> um, Prince Yuri may have actually been a character you wrote, and you might not realize it. So Prince Yuri, 
in reality is Yuri taken from the ultimate career component compendium based on the Kislevite careers. He is an adventure hook character. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that is a, he is a Kislevite horse riding career. There's an adventure hook I about a, <laughs> that's exactly like, I, I don't know if you remember how that story goes, but it is the same guy. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> isn't you, it funny how you wrote that character. <laughs> it's a weirdo world, eh? Yeah, I I cannot wait for you to get to how his story ends. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um. So anyway, fun. Uh, <laughs> there's that there's fun. there's your there's there's your little total war no, lore nugget for the for the moment. So um. The other thing that's really interesting, so there's been a lot of criticism, and it's a criticism I understand, but I also want to address and then also get Andy's opinion on about that. Oh, why, you know, we're getting the Uncle Hags, and yet the units that are coming with it are a little weird, um, where it's like, okay, it's the Akshina, but the Akshina have been very heavily changed in that originally they were called Chekis, being kind of like the secret police. Not a great name, in my opinion. Um, I think Akshina is infinitely better. Me too. Um, I uh, much prefer it and they have been further changed from being they are no longer seemingly the secret police within the cities of the gospodars but they are now almost more like rangers or or agents of the hags that are watching over the rural aspects of kislev which is a pretty significant alteration but i don't hate it Nope, neither do I. I think it fits in perfectly. As long as the Gospodars have got some form of equivalent, and it doesn't need to be in a war game. It just needs to be some equivalent of the... Check it. Um, but some equivalent of the fact that they are uh, controlling. The Gospodars are far more controlling. People. Yeah, which I believe we have one. Um, there was a Regiment of Renown added a few patches ago that is a Regiment of Renown of Armored Cossars, and I think they're called the Knight men the night something um but the they, man. Oh, i'm getting uh sun uh, always uh sunny in philadelphia yeah well i, I don't want to say the night watch because that's obviously that's freaking, even worse uh, yeah. the movie yeah uh, totally. but but in their lore blurb it's revealed that they are the secret police of the czarina uh oh, oh interesting uh, uh uh and that they are is it the watchman in the night that might be what it is which is mm-hmm. like a way of saying <laughs> But anyway, but they are the secret police of Katarin, and the way that they are very distinct is that not only are they like super scary looking, but they have enchanted blades because they have wheeled ice blades. Of course, they ice do. magic. Because, because <laughs> you know, but it's like, but I, I actually really like that of that they're very unique looking because they're that heavily armored, very brooding, scary. They're gonna smash down your door and like come kick the shit out of you. Um, but yeah, yeah, the ROR co- armored Kossar is the secret police unit. It's just, it's a regiment of renown instead of being a regular unit, which to me makes sense because there wouldn't really be that many of them. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, yeah, the Watchmen in the Night. That's their their unit titles, the Watchmen in the Night. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has allowed the Akshina to become, evolve into something different, which I actually do like quite a bit. I, I I think it's fine. Um, I think it works very well from the idea as well that the Ungols are, as a people, um, far more involved with all of this yes i'm definitely getting an echo i can hear my own voice coming back every once in a while you must have a, do you have a tab or something open somewhere i don't it's just very subtle because um, i i can tell you i don't hear it on my end and the chat doesn't hear it okay that's that's all that matters then as long as no one else hears it yeah um so so then there's the other two units which open up kind of an interesting can of worms 
So we ha- first we have the the things in the wood, which were a, I think a pretty big surprise to pretty much anyone because they're it's a Mordheim unit um, yep, totally. or entity. Um, in that uh, when I initially saw them, I thought they were referencing the things from the Deadwood, which is similar but not the same. Uh, the things of the Deadwood being a humanoid unit from a very specific forest in the em- or not quite the Empire, but or it's like that near Empire Kislev ballpark. The Deadwood is a nasty place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it is wait, y'all can hear it, or are I'm you not hearing anything now to make things even more annoying? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe you, Anthony. Thanks for coming by. I don't believe you, <laughs> Anthony. Who are you? Hey. Uh, but, but the things of the wood are a, a very well, interesting unit in that, um, of all the things they could have landed on, kind of a bizarre choice. I do love their design, um, they're absolutely amazing looking. I haven't looked at them yet. I'm gonna have to um, quick check. Here, I will I will pull up a picture for you. Um, but um but what's interesting about them, uh no, not real world things in the wood. Thank you, Appalachia. <laughs> Freaking Appalachian Mountains. It's it's weird living in America and forgetting that the Appalachian Mountains are an actual thing. Um, and not just a mythical th- like it's a real place where weird shit apparently happens. Um, all I'm getting is wood elf shit. Now, this is useless. Yeah, that, hold on. I will. I will. I will pull up that. Be awesome. Yes, I. I got it. I got. It. But um, what are what are your thoughts on them? Because like it seems like they're kind of meant to represent these nightmare right. spirits of the forest taking on like a war aspect. Um, but well, I, I think that's fine. I'm I, I in general without the specifics. I've not seen them, and I really should have a quick check. Um, there you go. Static rules up for minutes after I remove my. Airbuds, oh good you know. So there's clearly something going somewhere. Um yeah, I'm definitely hearing a slight echo on my side. So maybe there's something going on with my setup here, and only I'm hearing it. Anyway, that all aside, I think that having some representative representation of the spirits is great, and they've chosen this, and that's fine. Um, they have a very limited budget, I presume, to create lots of funky little models. Um, I would have been just as happy with a whole bunch of tiny little wood elf um, spirit style things popping up as well. That'd have been fine. As I said, very near the beginning of the stream, the hags had in their rules that they could have dryads as spirit familiars, that they could have naiads spirit familiars kicking around all over the place. I'm just going to pull up the... Yeah, so I said you like the, the those creatures pulling Mother Ostankia's chariot i believe those are the things in the wood oh that's the things in the wood ah okay so they're kind of like dog creatures with no flesh on their heads and but do they have like skull heads um somewhat similar to interesting so there's there's a reverb to the gur sort of looking type thing yeah they, they when i initially saw them in the trailer i almost thought they were lesser elementals of gur yeah that's what um, i was thinking too um yeah you okay. actually pretty much what i was thinking because um, if you take a look at the the big elemental um that you see afterwards it's got a very similar style it's just obviously right up with his horns um yeah yeah, yeah. uh which is which is interesting yeah, cool like yeah like I'm, i mean it's got it's got a nice look it's sort of spirit spirity um uh, much like you'd expect all the mischievous angles of spirits disappear when you add the word w-a-r and it's all about the Rah! and that's very much a, i'm cool with that um yeah. that's great and then the last thing is the incarnate elemental of beasts which was, yeah, that was that's the one I, you know, i'm just looking at it's it. a weird pick for them uh considering the hags traditionally aren't wizards uh not in like the classic sense and Kislev, no, doesn't, 
Yeah. Um. And yeah, that's kind of the thing is that it and it looked and like appearance wise, it is it is it you know it looks like a terrifying giant Wendigo monster. Like if you think nightmarish creature spirit of the woods, mm. and I, I I think that's kind of all it boils down to is that aesthetically it fits. I do hope. I will say that I'm hoping the reason they picked the Incarnate Elemental of Beast instead of going with a more Kislev specific creature is because it's going to be shared with more races in that like I will be pretty disappointed if like I feel every single beast was caster in the game if you get them to a high enough level like level 40 or level 50 should be able to get a summon of the Incarnate Elemental of Beast where they just summon on the battlefield for like 30 seconds or whatever that pretty much that um that that's what i assume is behind the thinking there because if you're going to create a model and it's going to be for well, effectively like maybe a character and that's it you're going to want to be able to reuse that model again to ensure that the assets um aren't a big sink of cost that go very don't go very far so yes that it yeah makes, and it makes to me that's that's why i have yeah, no real problems with yeah that. Uh, this, you have this... to work within the limitations of the game yeah and that's that's where i was going to go with i I would have loved a very unique Kislevite spirit monster. I would have loved a Leshen or a Frost Fiend. A Frost Fiend would have been fucking awesome. You know, a giant ice bat monster. You know, give, give me like a, yeah, give me an ice bat the size of a terror guys. Give me that. But uh, there's even stuff in the realm of uh, the realms of the Ice Queen book. Um, I don't remember their names at the top of my head because they're not english so to speak but there are a couple of creatures um talked about who are terrifyingly powerful spirits that mm -hmm. are like they are war monsters like yeah. you would take an army to go try to fight them and you would lose probably because they're that level of scary yeah um but you can't double dip with that mm -hmm. um and i i think that's kind of what it boils down to is that you cannot double dip you can double dip with the incarnate elemental beast. And I think that's the decision why they made the decision they did. Uh, Riznia. Okay. This is, I think this is the one I'm thinking about, but I, I don't want to butcher let's, that. Let's just not try. <laughs> yeah. But I, I believe that is correct. Uh, Co-artificial. I oh. believe that that one is mentioned specifically being quite scary. I'm going to take this out uh, from a different perspective. Um, and that's the perspective of if I was hired to do this, what would I do? Because ultimately, that's always a good place to start thinking on it. Because then you're suddenly confined by the same same restrictions that the company that has hired you have to work within. And if they say, look, we want to add this in. And you're like, yes, I want to add this in. It's awesome. And they say, you can't add it in with any new models, any new thing, any, any of these things. And you're like, oh, but maybe we could do something and then loop it into another one. And then they go, wait a minute, we can reuse the assets, double dip it that way. That makes sense. Then we can tie it into another one and then we can show how we can use it. Oh yeah, 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 that'll work. You can see the negotiation that takes place um, because there are there's only so much money and there's only so much time. Yeah, which those listening, I just want to point this out because it might not be obvious to people that all literally every single monster in the DLC is going to double dip. Like the Incarnate Elemental of Beasts could, I think, should be available to any faction with a Beast Wizard as a summon, yeah. but Kislev is maybe the only ones that get it as like a permanent creature. That way they get a little bit of a unique thing. Um, but like the Mutant Vortex Beast, that's going to be in the Warriors of Chaos, and it's going to be in Zinch. The Cockatrice, that's going to be in the Beastmen, and it's going to be in Zinch. Like those creatures are there and Cathay double dips on its own monster. They used a singular lion design to create a jade lion and a jet lion. Yeah. So all of every single monster in the DLC is doing double duty. Yeah. Um, totally. Which 
that's I'd just like to quickly bring up a comment because I want to tackle it directly. How much Games Workshop they drag their feet at it? I'd like to say that I've worked with Games Workshop a lot, and that's generally not what they're like. They are as excited as we are about all the cool shit that we could bring to the table. They are as much fans about this stuff as you are, as I am. And when somebody comes to them and says, here's the cool new thing that we'd like to add, their first thought is very rarely, yeah, no. Their first thought is, yeah, does this work? Um, and never does someone in our position try to present them something that isn't already, to its very core, Games Workshop-y. So you tend to find that it's much more a collaboration as the Games Workshop side and the license side work upon building something super awesome. It's very rarely them dragging their feet or saying no. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, I, I, yeah as much as I like, I, you know, I like to dunk on Games Workshop as much as anybody because they, they do make a lot of stupid decisions. But like at the when it comes to this thing, it is the person that has to pay for it that is making the shot. Who's calling the shots? Yeah, that that's who calls them. It's the guy who has to sit there and goes, "Okay, you want me to spend how much money to pay how many people's hours, and it's going to take them how long to make this thing?" No, that's not realistic. We have to do this other thing. Obviously, um, just to obviously bounce back on what I say, Games Workshop clearly have last call in this. This is their property, obviously. Yes. But I'm not. I, I just like to make it clear that Games Workshop are not decks. They love this shit as much as we do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I have zero doubt that if Creative Assembly went to them and was like, "We want to do these unique spirit creatures for Kislev," that they would not have been like, "Oh yeah, awesome, great, do it." <laughs> um, especially because they're like working on a Kislevite model range. Anything they could do to make Kislev feel more unique, they are probably just like, "Oh, good, we could potentially use that in the future." That sounds great. Um, but yeah. Um, why do they charge us so much for reused assets? That's a great question. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> neither of us work at Creative Assembly, and we can't answer that for you. Um, mm. That's why I am doing a. I'm going to be doing a video on that, either coming out tomorrow or the next day. That we're going to be having a discussion about how to justify how CA could maybe add a couple things to justify that price, because that is, of course, a very big thing in the community right now. Um, it's but I do want to get back on topic with hacks. So, um, so how, how far Just meander away from topic? Yeah. Never. <laughs> how far do you think mother Ostenka should go into the Baba Yaga thing? Like, should she have the chicken hut? Should she have the flying mortar and pestle? Should she like, how far do you think when, when it comes, this is actually a question I've been wanting to ask you when it comes to adapting a mythical entity in our world, a lot of people want the Warhammer version to almost be a direct one for one. But I find that tends to be not the best implementations. No, um, I, I, I I actively dislike it. Um, and it's not just because uh, it shows a certain dearth of imagination, which I feel that it does. Um, an inability to look at something and be inspired and create something new and fucking awesome. Um, there is no doubt that one of the great strengths of the Warhammer world is that its accessibility comes from the fact that it has lots of real-world references. We all know what Cathay is loosely based on. In a similar fashion, we all know what Kislev is loosely based on. But that doesn't mean that we are bound by it, nor does it mean that we have to try and represent it, because often that comes with a host of problematic issues, particularly when you've got, um, uh, let's say, let's really dive into it and say one of the reasons that Games Workshop has not touched Araby is because it's potentially difficult. <laughs> and it's uh, we all know this, and we all go, we want Araby, we do, we do, and people 
that are down in real world Middle Eastern countries are going, we want Arabi, we want Arabi too, because they want it. But there's a certain trepidation that comes hand in hand with working with other people's cultures. And it requires a certain level of sensitivity. And the problem with going into a culture that's yours and having no sensitivity and uplifting, it gives you almost this idea that you should go and do that to someone else's too. And that's when it all starts to get difficult. So whenever, whenever I'm involved with anything, my first instinct is always to go, Let's have a look at the sources. Let's look at it and think about how we can turn them into something Warhammer cool and most importantly, completely different. I mean, really, how many bizarre Onyx Crowmen do you think you saw running around China? <laughs> there wasn't a lot of them, I'm going to say. Um, and, and it's good to adapt things in different ways. You've got sources and you've got inspirations, but I would much rather, if they were bringing their own Baba Yaga-esque figure to life that it was a bigger warhammerier version of it and it was something that you'd look at and you'd go oh wow that's obviously something like that but they've done this and it's fucking cool that's in the end what you're looking for something that's really fucking awesome um so that would be my preference my preference would be not to replicate it would be to be inspired by yeah um Yes, the gaggle of Proman. Fucking gaggle of Proman. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, one of one of the things that is, um, yeah, because like when when Mother Ostangia was announced, one of the things that I kind of noticed that, like, I saw it coming, but it, it was almost a little surprising to me, and I think it's because of so many people that have come into Warhammer very recently, um, was like the desire for her to literally be a one to one of Mother of Baba Yaga. Of like, oh well, Baba Yaga has a giant chicken hut, so her mount, her like big epic monster mount, should be a giant chicken hut creature, which is like, I can see the argument for it, but at the same time, like, I don't like it to be honest. Nope. Of Neither like, do I. like even even if like even if Mother Ostenkia did have a chicken hut, I don't think she would take it into battle with her. Yeah. Of like herself along with a giant mortal and pestle and oh no yeah it's like her like you, you expect this woman to take her magic house that she needs to like brew her potions and everything where it's gonna get like attacked by demons and blasted with cannons and shit that doesn't make any sense to me that's stupid <laughs> yeah i um like i've seen i've seen a lot of bitching about the lack of a chicken hut i'm gonna be honest i think the community is completely i think they've I... lost the plot I when am happy to, to be on a completely different page to the rest of the community here. Sometimes it's about serving the uh, game and what's right for it rather than serving and providing fan service for once for better description. Um, and in this particular instance, I think that uh, Creative Assembly appear to be going 100% in the correct direction. Um, and that if they were just simply representing Baba Yaga, it would be, I would argue, just dull. It wouldn't be Warhammer. It would just be, it would just be a fantasy world. I love how everyone seems to have settled on a, a what about a chicken legged pestle? <laughs> ah, now we're technically different. But no, she's got a cherry that apparently sprouts spider legs. I'm totally cool yeah, with that. That that that's cool. Um, I mean spiders, I mean, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagine she's probably gonna have a lot of they, they seem to be running with a very strong animal theme for like the spirits. Um, which sure spirits are animals, right? Yeah, of like, you know, in the trailer, we could see it looks like she's got a lot of units that Drycha has, which are like mm -hmm. um, creatures, creature units that do not have riders, which actually, for anyone that doesn't know, is actually a really cool callback to like really, really old fantasy, like third edition, because you can actually just take a bunch of random critters in your army list back in the day. Do that uh, uh, fourth as well. 
Um, I want to cook off between Ostenka and Grom. Wow. I feel like regardless of whose you ate, you would die horribly. <laughs> that, that's not, that is not going to be a Michelin star cook off. Grom. <laughs> don't think of Grom as much of a cook. <laughs> no, uh, uh, I don't, you, you, I don't think you've played his DLC. He has his, he has a cooking oh, no. mechanic and it's hilarious. He does not, does he? <laughs> he does. It's so funny. It is, it is the, it is one of the most overpowered mechanics in the game. I shit you not. I'm looking forward to playing he's not, it. <laughs> he's not the one cooking. It's it's more implied like his shaman system, but it's Grom's okay. cauldron mechanic. And every time you cook a meal, the voice actor for Grom, it just has Grom doing stuff in the background. He's like, mm, that's not like, he just makes goofy comments depending on what you cook. It's fucking hilarious. Because um, Grom's a big boy and he's got to eat. <laughs> but, uh, Oh my god, yeah, the Centigore milk. Oh god. And it literally says he was a good boy. He was a good boy for Centigore milk. <laughs> That's a line. It's foul. There's a lot in that missing it. It's foul, but like in the <laughs> most hilarious way. Um anyway. Um but uh yeah, I mean overall I I am <sighs> There are things I like about the hags and things I don't like about the hags. I think Alora hags would be very nice, even if we have to wait for it in the future. I think it, we should get it. Um, I'm not a super huge fan that the hags seem to be traditional wizards. Um, like, um, there are lords that, that kind of bugs me. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's just kind of lazy. Well, like, for me, I, it makes the world feel smaller and it makes the factions feel less unique and discreet. Um, yeah. And that's a shame. It feels more like a how do we add power to this faction and less of a how do we interpret this faction. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is unfortunate. It is. And it uh, it sort of undermines one of the core points for the hags. And that was that they represented something that wasn't using chaos to fight chaos, which is pretty much what every other wizard was doing. They had taken a different route and they had not fallen, so to speak. They'd done the opposite, but the cost that they had taken instead of the risk to their soul was completely different. It was a risk to their, just their living lives. They've come old and horrible and their families shun them because they aren't what they once were. And they become repulsive to look at. They age and their bones pop and they get all crooked and bent. And, you know, it's not the best life, but that's the cost that they have chosen to take on so that they can wage their fight. Yep. All right. So, uh, oh, also, uh, yeah. Okay. So a couple of little things came through on Twitch. So, sorry, we got a Twitch tip, which thank you, Creo. Uh, I just saw oh. now. Uh, hope oh, thank you very much. I, I hope you're still here. Uh, he says, I consider Kislev the weakest part of Shadows of Change. Uh, my counter to that would be, we haven't seen it yet. Let's, let's wait to see what we're dealing with first. But it says Dreitja came free and represented better interfaction politics than Mother Ostenka. Ostenka will probably have Gospodars making 90% of her rank and file in generals. What are my thoughts on guys' thoughts on this? Okay, so A, I, I need to wait and see what her campaign mechanics are. Um, I need to wait and see like what she actually does. How does she interact with the rest of the Kislevite units? Um I do deeply, deeply, deeply agree that the lack of a hag mother lord is extremely disappointing. 
The fact that I'm going to be playing Mother Ostenka, my only choice for lords to lead my armies is boyars or ice witches, is feels bad, oh, man. Harsh. Um, like that, that was a huge l- oversight on mm-hmm. CA's part. Um, and that's something I'm going to be talking about a lot. So that that particular part I hate a lot. I don't really have a comment for the rest of it yet. Um, and I also don't think comparing her to Drycha is really fair. Um, because Drycha is a free LC character who did not bring anything genuinely new with her she kind of cannibalized uh a bunch of units that were already there like she took forest spirits and made them purple colored um and was like look your um hogs as well though couldn't you yeah like and yes they could have and they might have though we don't know we haven't seen the actual campaign yet yeah Um, so that's the thing is like don't get me wrong i'm going to absolutely drop the proverbial hammer on it if it's trash but i don't know if it's trash yet there's a lot of people i think having very strong reactions uh to shadows of change and at the end of the day we just we just don't have all the information yet it's true and plus um you got to remember if you see something you don't like it's very easy to start looking for further flaws it's what you do people can't help themselves you see something and you're like well this is shit which means i'm going to now look at it rake over it and find it all to be shit and i think that uh Sotek here has got i would argue a very balanced view which is Yes, it does look like it might be poor, but let's wait to find out if it's actually the case because you might be surprised. All right, so uh, we're. Oh, I think we've we're just gonna got go ahead. Uh, just got a new uh, YouTube one in. Oh, ping, 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 ping. Oh yeah, hey, Rockefeller. If I could invent a generic agent slash hero that was either created by or works mostly for the hags, what would I come up with? So uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, I I would probably just have like hag mothers as my lord and then hag witches as my heroes and then call it a day um if i was held at gunpoint and told that i had to come up with a entity as like like a a spiritual creature to act as like a hero character um i would probably crack open and go read about all the spirits that are in realms of kislev and just pick one of them there there are quite a few of them but like that doesn't really fit. Yeah, if opinion. I was uh, uh, there, if you could invent a generic agent hero character that was either created by or mostly works for the hags, then what would you come up with? I just have a full set of hags. Yeah, um, and you would have the hags balancing out against the uh, just the standard Ungle nobility, you boyars et al. Um, and that would just be a perfect balance between the two. Why? Why go further? And then, if you wanted to add on top of that, I'd be looking at being things that the hags summoned, stroke created through the course of play, rather than necessarily was a component part of the leadership structure. Yeah. Now, no, that being said, if you gave me infinite, if you gave me money and were like, "Hey, uh, it." If I if I was like, hey, can I do like an ungol, like whatever the leader of a little ungor tribe is, and he specialized in being like a ranged melee focused character, like he has a bow and he can ride a horse and if you get yourself like a proper character who could start doing proper um ungol tactics of circling around units and, and pinging into it and going round formations, having special stuff, and then the character who did something special to that, perhaps if they managed to connect to themselves, a big ping went off, magic powers fling off. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's probably what I would do if I got that in addition to the hags. I would do the hags first, but if you were like you can have another one, but it has to serve the hags, then yeah, I would probably do like an not a chieftain. I don't know what the word would be, but like an ungold guy. An Ataman would do. Sure. An Ataman. Oh, well, we have Atamans. Or, as or a he- Hetman. 
There we go. We don't have Hetmans. There you no. go. Hetman. Myself, I'm an uncle Hetman. Not a dude. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start diving into questions from the Discord, uh, as well as uh, here, here's a great question to start with. That's uh, just from the YouTube chat. If you want to mm -hmm. tackle that, Andy, of do hag spirits require the winds of magic? Uh, okay. Yes, spirits use the winds of magic. Um, they are inherently magical themselves. Uh, they are, depending upon your individual uh, story that you take from, because they, they really do contradict, but they are, at their heart, creatures that either A, come from the Aether, or are very closely related to the Aether, but they definitely draw their sustenance and are a part of etheric energies. And that basically means, in the Warhammer world, the winds of magic. The reason that the hags are safe is because it's the spirits that are doing the spells, which is why I'm not too bothered with the hags having access to, say, the lore of beasts or the lore of life or whatever, as long as you have that little snippet that says the spirits are doing it on their behalf. If you write that bit in, suddenly the hag makes complete sense as a character. But if the hag herself is the one that's responsible for doing it, it undermines the whole point of what they're there for. At least as they were originally written, they might write a new one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the relationship between Ice Witch and the hags? Uh, this is actually pretty well expanded on uh, in Realms of the Ice Queen. It is tense. Tense. Hmm. Like they they technically are fighting for the same cause, but they represent two very different cultures. Um, and you've got to also remember that the ice uh, court is in the position of authority, which, if anything, makes it even more tense. Um, as far as they're concerned, it is their land. As far as the Ungols are concerned, it's their land that it was stolen from them. Yeah. Are we not all hags deep down? I'm, I'm sure we all have days like that um all right so uh diving into the first question um some of these might not fully show up but i don't worry i have the discord up so i will read them out in their entirety but mm -hmm. scythe petals uh dropped in a few questions and his first one is what is the hag's role in kislev society are they simply boogie ladies or do they have a deeper more secret role unbeknownst to even civilized quote-unquote kislevites i'll just leave that up so that's an interesting question because um, Kislev society is quite different to say Gospodar society or Ungol society, um, both of which are Kislev society. Yeah, Kislev, um, Kislev's messy, y'all. Yeah, totally. And that's just two of the primary ethnicities that you find in Kislev. There are more, and they also have their own traditions and their own histories. Um, the hags are an essential part of Ungol life. It's not just that they're sitting on the outside. They live with them. It is their mothers, it is their sisters, it is their children. Um, the uh, wise women that they all represent, the circles of wise women that are in their communities, that the hags are a part of. Even the oldest and weirdest ones are connected to one somewhere. Um, it's just a part of their society. It's not an, an external weird thing. It's what they live with. But for the Gospodars, it is almost to a degree exactly what you described there. Bogey ladies, things to be afraid of. What happens when you stray too far off into the Oblast and you get into the weird communities where things are strange? They are often not just bogey ladies because they, they, they're used as a figure of terror, but they are real threats um, to their yeah. way of life and the life that they live. So eh, it's tense. 
Yeah. And um, just going to touch on a couple of comments uh, very, very briefly as they appear in the chat as well. Uh, Kyle, yes, um, that's actually a dynamic that Total War has added that I like a lot is the Great Orthodoxy. The Great Orthodoxy is literally like the third guy in the ring now um, where they are, uh, especially with Kostaltin at the head, they are very zealotrous and they have similarities to the Empire as far as like how the Witch Hunters tend to be. Um, but there is there is a there is almost more of a scheming nature to the orthodoxy because Kostaltin is not what he seems. Um, uh, we've talked about him with uh, well, uh, I had uh, Andy Hall on, and I've done a lot into Kostaltin, and we'll eventually do kind of a total war lore focus stream with Andy here. Um, but uh, this Andy, <laughs> but uh, too um, many Andys. Yeah, the the great orthodoxy very much is trying to claim power. It is it has become a political faction in addition to a religious faction, and it sees those two as opponents. Uh, and you also have someone like Kostaltin who has become convinced that he literally sees chaos everywhere. Um, which, you know, to be fair, <laughs> he's not entirely wrong. I mean, the end of the world's coming. He's not wrong at all. Yeah. Uh, does Hagmergic work outside of Kislev? Have they ever been seen Absolutely. outside of some other one? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it does. Their magic relies upon spirits. Their magic does not rely upon their position. And the spirits of the ancient widow are just one part of a far greater map. And their ability to manipulate spirits are not do not rely upon the ancient widow. They rely upon their knowledge of how spirits work, of their knowledge about how to manipulate spirits. Does that mean that when they leave, that they're perhaps going to be encountering different spirits that work slightly differently? Yes. Does that mean that they still know how to control them? yes it might not be successful but they know what to do yep uh so what is the, so this says robsman but i think he means ropesman Robs. uh what is what is the difference like what what are those the dolgan the ropsman get brought up even in total war they're brought up a fair bit yeah um, they are so what, um, what are they there's their um other tribes so um if, if we go back way way back in time like i like to do um and we go back to the time of sigmar and the time of sigmar the uh entirety of the reich basin and the reich basin is a loose way of describing everything inside the world's edge mountains into the black mountains up to the gray mountains because the Urskoy, the various rivers of um kislev most of those also flow into the river reich at some point through the river talabek so that entire area was populated by a variety of different human tribes Several of those tribes were bound by Sigmar together into an empire, but a lot of them were not. And that is what these other peoples are. These are the other tribes, all of which had their own unique, discrete cultures, civilizations, identities, some of which have been completely crushed, some of which exist to this day. And the Sylvanian um, independence, for example, comes from the fact that they had a different tribe down there, the Fenones, um, which are not often spoken about either. Um, and they are the uh, foundation point of what became the Sylvanian people, which are quite separate to the Azaborns that live beside them uh, round about Sterling and then down into Averland as well with the, the Cherusins over there and you get the idea. So they're just another tribe with another cultural identity. Yeah, so I've seen this question show up in a lot of different ways um, which um, I will take a whack at before Andy does because I think there's Go. some interesting stuff there of uh, Munamim, which uh, Andy, I don't know if you've read Munamim, but nope, she is... I have not. So uh, that's going to make it super easy for me not to give an answer on. Cool. Well, uh, you'll be able to jump into it in a second. So would Munamim resonate with Mother Kislev if her bog expansion reached Kislev to the point she became a hag, or would their grief be incompatible? So Munamim, for those who don't know, 
um, is a special character that was introduced in the Winds of Magic book for Warhammer Roleplay Fourth Edition, who is a Famir matriarch. So she's the oh. Famir, she's the big bad Famir matriarch character. She's actually very very fun um, and an interesting character. But there is, like Andy talked about earlier, there is a huge difference between the Famir and the Hags in that the Famir use chaos. They are one of the original chaos races on the Warhammer planet. They, uh, according to newer lore we have, they worship chaos before chaos even showed up. Like they had little inklings of little whispers of what was beyond the veil. And they were making, they were one of the first favored races that fell out of favor and were replaced by humanity, which is why the Famir really hate humanity. In a lot of ways, they're very spike. They're, they have a lot in common with the beastmen, um, though. They're very different. Uh, cause the Famir are technically civilization builders, um, which as beastmen seem to get really uppity about that. Uh, <laughs> but the, they, I would say I could understand people thinking that there's a similarity there in that the Famir do use demons. They do use, um, like bog spirits or marsh creatures, um, fin beasts, though fin beasts are more like automatons. Um, they're not really spirits. Uh, they're more magical constructs that are not like they're not like dryads. It's more of you're using magic to give shape to a creature that does not usually have its own sentience. It's like a golem. Um, whereas the hags are working with non-chaos spirits. That is the big like hags are working with spirits, the mirror working with demons. But there are some really interesting similarities between the two. Seems fair. I shan't comment. Haven't read that bit. That was easy. <laughs> but I, I would I would like your comment on okay, yep. Famir versus Hags. Um, right, yeah. So they're a completely different kettle of fish. Um, the Famir, uh, the Famir have gone through various iterations of their background, some of which are really unfortunate to the point that I almost decided to nix them entirely for fourth edition but fantasy roleplay. Um, because I'm glad, they were just, I'm glad y'all just fixed them instead. Yeah, <laughs> they, they got run with instead. Um, there's still a part of me that wishes I hadn't. Um, because I, I, I once received an email from someone who said, I really wished you hadn't. And I was like, hmm. Well, yeah. Um, it was a pretty sad email and their reasons were very good. Um, and I was like, yeah, I get what you're meaning. I, I now feel really bad. Um, but nevertheless, that aside, cause it was a moment where it made me realize that perhaps I should get over things that I like and just accept that some things aren't acceptable. Um, and that aside. Uh, they've gone through various iterations, and uh, some iterations they were once human, and other iterations they were Skaven, and other iterations, um, Marienburg and the entire Cursed Marshes. The fact it's the Cursed Marshes is because of the Fimmer. Um, they they had a huge civilization there that collapsed, um, near the beginning of let's say things. Um, so they are an interesting species, let's say that, and they are very now closely related to chaos, um, which is a bit of a shame given where they were originally coming from with their Celtic mythology, with the Fomorians, um, which is what they were loosely based on. And they were originally created, uh, I've spoken to their creators more than once, I have the original Fimmer art sitting behind me, for example. Yes, you do. Um, uh, that's the very first image that was ever created for Fimmer to try and conceptualize them. Um, that's the original piece. Uh, they've gone through so many changes, often because they've been attempted to try and fix what came before, that it's difficult to pin down anyone as any definite thing because the war game itself has never picked it up and said, this is what they are now. Um, so every version we have is just an iteration that has yet to be properly calcified. So 
with that all said, and with that awareness in place, um, I think that the Hags would do absolutely everything in their power to annihilate them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I would I would one hundred percent agree. And, annihilate uh, them. Yeah, and for those that are curious about like Total War Premier, and you're kind of like, ooh, where do they? come from in that case um the total war from here the, the version we have of them now are ripped right out of the monstrous arcanum um and and the storm of magic book it is the most yeah. recent interpretation and they they removed a lot from the film <laughs> uh, they they there was a lot uh, kind of to not necessarily down around it but th there was a lot of like un unfortunate sexual themes to the Famir about like how they procreated involving unwilling humans um that got and it was like overtly graphic back in the day um old old like it's it's just kind of a unfortunate truth of the setting that old hammer old warhammer had a lot of very strong sexual themes because it was marketed seemingly towards teenage boys um and they went in some weird directions with it uh, a lot like if you read some of the old dark elf books and stuff there are some things that nowadays you might go oh that's that's a lot <laughs> um and a lot of those have been removed um in the modern setting uh and heavily cleaned up because we, we just didn't need to go there um yeah. and so the famir got almost completely rebranded um and they went from that to being instead like a fallen civilization of chaos worshiping marsh creatures that are a matriarchal society they have these big badass matriarchs that lead them who uh are the progenitors of their species and also like they have a bunch of little males um and they, they kind of function like ants in that sense where you have a big queen who gives birth to all of them and all this other stuff and instead they just sacrifice humans for magic and power now which is much more normal <laughs> for a fantasy setting like that's fine <laughs> um they they got rid of a lot of the other stuff um which i think is good um so that is why if you encounter the Famir in Total War, you might look at them and go, I don't understand why people have problems with these guys. They seem fine and like really mm -hmm. cool. But that's why is their origin was very heavily tied with a lot of those other themes. Um, and those yeah. have been gutted in the modern and modern versions. Um, although, um, uh, interestingly, um, uh, more than one writer when I was working on the roleplay game tried to reinstall that. Yeah, well, you know, I did not allow that to occur. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of that thing of if the, there's always the guy, and it's always a guy, um, in the room who goes, "Well, this doesn't make me uncomfortable, so why why shouldn't we talk about it as a theme when it, like it happens in real life?" And it's like because we don't we don't have to go there. <laughs> That's why you can you can tell you can tell horrific stories without delving to the absolute bottom of the barrel. Um, yeah, you can tell horrific stories without making it um, a core component. Um, yeah, the, those horrific stories can still be told. They just don't have to be the only outcome that's allowed because that is not just a horrific story. That's then moving into actual abuse. Yeah. yeah. Also, I you know, fade to black is a very good viable strategy, and it was not a strategy used enough in the eighties and nineties. Um, and now we're, they're better about it, depending on the medium. Um, great, not always. You know, there are some stories that delve into topics like that, but there's a time and a place. Would be my would be my thing there all right uh that right guy thank you for the super chat hey, right sorry, guy. sorry this was asked or talked about already came in late but i thought ice magic came from kislev don't the spirits of kislev have some access to ice magic as well if so why do ice magic mm. which is hate the magics of the hags 
Uh, I'll so, let Andy. So this is an interesting that. one because this is one that um, I discussed actually directly with Games Workshop um, when I was writing uh, the Kislev material because uh, we had form of the, the Frost Fiend, for example, which is one of the spells of the Ice Witches where they could turn into a gigantic Frost Fiend and it was fucking cool. But the Frost Fiend is a legit spirit in Kislev. It's not just something that is made up for the Ice Witches. Frost Fiends whirl around being crazy whirlwinds of horrific icy death um, with massive claws. They're truly terrible creatures, but they're spirits. They're spirits of ice, spirits of Kislev. And when I was forming up the hags, I was very keen for them to be quite discreet from the Ice Witches. Um, but I was aware that the existing background said it was a spirit and if we had this particular issue that there may be a bridge there so i said i want to separate them i want to do it for this reason to make sure that they're discreet um and my justification for it at that point was that the uh ice let's see how can i say this without necessarily stating where we were going there that the ice magic source was definitely and the spirits therein was definitely separate to the ancient widow and the spirits that they were working with and that there was two separate factions working there now were they necessarily two components of the same thing that holy trinity we mentioned very early in the stream possibly but the justification was that they were discreet different yep. type of spirit Roop, yeah that's why a lot of people like modern Famir. Because, yeah, Skeksis, great. <laughs> awesome, Skeksis cool. are awesome. If only they were more like that. Um, but they are very strongly um, drawn upon old Irish myth. Y yes. Um, though, yeah, they kind of lost a lot of that. Um, no, which, yeah, totally. Um, like, I, mean, I kind of hope, well. hope they so, lean more into it. But eh. Yeah, they, uh, uh, as just a small aside, the reason that they got rid of them was only, well, there was only one. The models were made of metal and they required monster bases, so they were expensive. So in terms of collecting the army, it cost no much, too much. Nobody bought the army, so they got dumped. Man, if only they had waited for their moment. <laughs> yeah, if only they'd made the models slightly smaller, we would probably still have them today. Yeah. Um, though I I keep expecting them to return for AOS or something. Like, they've been lurking in the background forever. Anyway, yeah, um, uh, moving on with uh, questions from the Discord. Oh, banners, that's where I need to go. Uh, do the hags worship and acknowledge the Kislevite deities? This is actually a really interesting question because a lot of people may not know the Ungols, their gods were already there. Like Urson, mm -hmm. Dawes. Actually, I don't know if all, all four of them. Right. But technically, so, there's five. But... Yeah, there's more than five. There's like about 50. Sorry. Um, there's the, the, ones there's the three biggies, and then there's the yeah. two not as biggies, and then there's all the other ones. Indeed. And the answer is uh, stop thinking that they worship gods, number one because they kind of don't. They're a polytheistic society. They worship all the gods. Um, it's written directly in about the Ungols, for example. They're Atmans, the people who are, let's say, the old oldest member of the community. Um, the uh, village elder is responsible for speaking to the gods on behalf of the entire community when things are going wrong. If a harvest goes wrong, if they need more fish, if something goes wrong, they will immediately try to communicate with and deal with that god and ask why it's all gone wrong. They'll be making offerings. They'll be doing things to try and appease the god. The gods are not necessarily worshipped. They're mostly appeased. They're called upon in times of need. And it's not so much that, oh, this is a community that worships Daz. They, it's all of them. 
all of the gods every single time for every member of the community. It's a polytheistic society, not a monotheistic society. So get that into your head and hopefully that will answer almost by default. So the answer is yes to all of it. Yeah. And yeah, the hags very involved. Like, yeah, yeah like th they're gods too. Um, the, yeah, the a lot of people think that there is a definitive split between religion and magic in Warhammer, and that's not true. It is like, a lot. It, it, it does come up a lot, but like a lot of the colleges of magic, certain colleges are very heavily associated with certain gods of like the, the Amethyst College and Moor Cult. They are very bro. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say they're very bro. I'd say that they're more in the same area. <laughs> well, to my understanding, it's like it's it's very it's considered like not kosher to not be involved with the cult of more as an amethyst wizard because people start to get suspicious of like even so far as um uh what's her face from Tarmacon is like she refuses to work with Amethyst College, but she works really in tandem with the cult of more. Yeah. Um, individuals in that regard, yeah. Um, uh, I would say it's a bit more complicated than that alone. That would be a bit um, tight. The, uh, there, there is definitely a strong cultural divide in many parts of the old world, but it's difficult to pin it down because in, say, for example, the Empire, it's exceedingly strong um, mm. because of the prevalence of the cult of Sigmar that views magic as the workings of chaos. And, yeah. and as much as individuals in the cults um, are accepting of it, many just aren't. And it's maybe been 200 years since Magnus has made it legal. But those last 200 years for many of them have been a fight to reverse it. And the colleges have been shut more than once, closed down almost entirely during mm -hmm. the course of that 200 years. And that's because they are seen as massively sacrilegious because they're pulling on the powers of chaos. Now, not everybody believes that. And many, particularly the wizards themselves, don't necessarily believe that per se, meaning that they might want to help. And there's some places will be accepted. But the overall view in the empire, if you're looking at a cultural umbrella view, is wizards are bad. And that yeah. goes across the case for all the cults, sadly, because, the, but that's the empire only other places. It's quite different. You know, I almost think it And when I've read it, especially like in the empire army book and stuff, by the way, I hate you for oh, this comment, Crescent. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, uh, oh, seriously. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I, I, I guess a better way to put it, I think I put it wrong. I think a better way to put it is there seem to be some colleges of magic that I wouldn't necessarily say they almost use the faith of the, as a shield but they almost kind of have it as a validation of their existence because of certain, like either they have very similar aims or they have very similar opponents. Yeah. I, I think that's correct. And you've got to remember that the wizards, it's really easy to forget that they also live in a polytheistic society and they have been raised in a society where all of these gods are real, a part of their uh, lives, a part of their culture. And just because you become a wizard doesn't mean you stop worshipping all of these gods. Now, again, I use the word worship incorrectly, as I did previously. I've just fallen into the own trap that I said the others shouldn't do. But they will be um, looking to appeal to those gods under certain circumstances. Just because they're wizards doesn't mean that comes to an end. And they're going to be looking to get help from those that are similar to them. The reasons that the, cult, the Amethyst call and the cult of more are so close is because they are so close but that doesn't mean that one doesn't think that the other is wrong in a great deal many things as an overall yeah. 
constitution. Yeah. And yeah, because there are there are certain college or winds of magic or well, from an empire perspective, you know, it's like the Morites and the Amethyst College tend to be very heavily aligned. The Jade College and like Ryan's mm-hmm. um tend Definitely. to be heavily aligned, but like you know, it's like the the fire college very rarely seems to be aligned with any of the cults. I mean, the one uh, it probably would be would be burn inside of Sigma. Yeah. But anyway, so the grace with Marina sort of uh, justice. Yes. Yep. So, but uh, yes, hags, I would say the hags do have a good, like, uh, like the hags were there first as were mm-hmm. the, the Kislevite gods. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that Andy was talking about earlier that is really interesting though, is that total war lore is moving the setting forward in the sense that there is now a schism happening because of Kostaltin and the the great orthodoxy which was not what it was supposed to be like when uh, Boris Ursus created it he created it under the guise of chaos was man- using the cults as a way to kind of weave its way into a lot of uh groups so Boris thought well if we standardize the cults if we make it where they have written down teachings and they're all doing the same stuff and it's not different from village to village to village then it'll be much harder for the chaos cultists to sneak their way in while pretending to be parts of our cults. But when Boris died and the, the orthodoxy was kind of left on its own and Katarin took over, the orthodoxy looked over and went, oh, we like all this power we have now. By standardizing, we can wield a lot of authority because now we say what's right, we say what's wrong. And they started turning their attention to all of these other groups in Kislev and going, no, we don't like that because either A, we don't understand it, or B, we don't control it. And, and ultimately, it will be control as well. That's yeah, a big one. Yeah. And the, so there's now there's a very interesting thing of there is all these gods, but if they don't kind of kowtow to the great orthodoxy or the great orthodoxy either doesn't feel like they can control them or manipulate them, they're going to try stomping them out. And like that would potentially lead, like I almost kind of wish the great orthodoxy had happened a generation earlier so we could see more of the fallout. Yeah. Um, because like, I agree, because there's like, not enough time because the world comes to an end. Bah. Yeah, it I, I wish it had been something that uh Tsar Alexei had done after the mm. great war against Kislev. That would have been a really good time to in- come up with that. Um, unfortunately, we have it with Tsar Boris, which does make Tsar Boris even cooler than he already was. But uh yeah, it would lead to some really interesting schisms. Yeah. And I agree completely. I think that it's a, a fascinating direction and I kind of wish it had been brought in 200 years earlier because that would have brought, um, it would have to a degree also justified the weird way that whenever Kislev is brought up with its religion, which it has been in multiple cases, it's always been loosely and ill-defined and it would have been nice to see how the religious aspects have been controlled and manipulated by uh, what is effectively uh, Kislev's version of the Cult of Sigmar. Yeah, which uh, if y'all haven't already, uh, uh, I'll have to do like a video dedicated to it at some point, or maybe we can even talk with Andy a lot about it, just about how he feels about certain ideas and stuff. But some of the ideas they're running with in the background that you can see hidden throughout Total War, as well as conversations about some of the writings they've been doing, is that like they're not everyone in the cults is going along with Kostaltin and his consolidation. Like I want to say it's the it's either the matriarch of Soliac or it is the uh or it is the i can't remember if it's a matriarch or patriarch of tor is really uncomfortable with the great consolidation and the direction it's going in uh where it's becoming more of a political force instead of a like 
purifying force. And Kostaltan has enemies that are very big in the other cults. Um, and he, Kost, the thing I love about Kostaltan, and one day we'll have to do a whole thing with him, is that like he looks like just he, you know, he's Rasputin. He looks like Rasputin. He's like a lot of people think he's this crazy zealot guy, but that's just the face he puts on. Like he is very zealotrous. Like he's a very, very strong, faithful man, but he's also well way bigger schemer than anybody thinks he is mm. um like in private he is not nearly that loud and boastful and unwashed and ugly that is an appearance he puts on um he is far more conniving than he seems which is what makes him a great character um i just hope he gets better mechanics <laughs> uh uh so uh we're gonna skip this one from scythe because we already answered it we already talked about the ancient window a lot and how she's associated um uh, this is also from Scythe. Are the hags Kislev's lizardmen? <laughs> That's such a funny way to put it. As in, they're serving a big, bigger, crucial plan for protecting the motherland that most Kislevites don't largely see and understand. I would say no. Um, I, in fact, I would say quite strongly no. Um, in that these are a bunch of individual um women who are looking to do the best in the circumstances that they have. We are dealing with people who are mostly, if you want to look at where they sit in the Warhammer world, in the northern side of Kislev that's butting up to troll country, working across a host of sinistas of Ungol uh, backing mostly. Um, and they have constant drivings coming from the north um, of chaos attacks from Norse attacks, from various other attacks that are coming down. They spring driving every year, um, bringing the rather nasty chaos marauders. And that is their daily grist. That is what they have to deal with. This isn't some potential threat that might be coming. It's coming again and again. Every year, they're raising up new rotas of horse archers. Um, Gospodars are coming in from the south, and they're coming in with their winged lancers et al. And they're going to not necessarily war, but most certainly protect themselves from marauders that are coming in. They have got far too much on their plate to be working towards some greater plan. The great spirits that they work on are there to hopefully help them, but they're also deeply difficult to deal with. They are a difficult set of people with lots of different traditions who are constantly arguing with each other because their existences are constantly threatened. I would not look at them as having some great plan. I would instead yeah. say they're just people who are surviving in a hellscape. Uh, Servant Sotek, yep, that's absolutely true. Yeah, even the Cult of Ursin is very split. When when Kostaltin was made Patriarch of the Cult of Ursin and Supreme Patriarch of the Great Orthodoxy, it there were people that like flat out were like, nope, and they left for the wilds. Um, but granted, the Cult of Ursin is actually very vulnerable uh, because it's kind of a baby right now. Because it, it is. Yeah, it was functionally dead for a while yeah. until Zar Zarboris was the first priest of Ursin and like, what 100 years 200 years uh i think it's 100 um but like by the wayside and um uh the the lore that they picked up on uh it largely fell by the wayside because the ice witches if you go back to the, the intentions before we arrived where total war took it from but the ice witches had manipulated themselves into positions of absolute power across uh, all of Kislev and a part of that um, proposition for them was wiping out alternatives to their power bases and that included the cult of Ursin. The reason yep. that the cult of Ursin died was almost certainly the good old sisterhood of ice. Yeah the, I don't think they were thrilled about what Boris did um, but it adds a lot of extra spice for it's brilliant. Kostaltan. 
Yeah. And like, it adds a lot of spice to Boris as well because he comes along and he's he's the czar. What the fuck can they do? <laughs> I still, uh, yeah, I still, that is my, it is the most hilarious story that he just, I, I'm sure it wasn't this, but the way it's written, it almost seems like he just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to go fight a bear. Oh, get my bear. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go become a priest of Ursa. I'll be right back. <laughs> go, and I've come back home. Oh, my um, bear. <laughs> and Vorn, yes. Yeah, the, the, the short story about Kostaltin does end with him realizing that he's been manipulated in a sense um because he he accuses uh he he hates katarin he hates katarin a lot and it's because he sees her as a puppet of the ice court he doesn't like he understands that she's czar boris's daughter but as far as he's concerned she's a witch and she is a pawn of horrible things and so he goes he kind of becomes convinced that it's worth any lengths in order to expose her corruption. And by doing that, he ends up killing some people he probably shouldn't have killed. Uh, and that is what causes him to flee to Cal uh, Castle Alexandrov, is he pulls away because he realizes that the political situation of the cult is threatened, and he needs to pull back and consolidate his power. Um, so that he does it right, so to speak. But I, I, I think it... I, I think it's not so much about that he thought that going after Katarin was wrong. I think he became more certain of the position that he could not just murder Katarin. He needed to be he needed to be more subtle about it. He needed to strip her from power, not murder her in cold blood in the capital. Uh, Chicken-legged huts, do they exist in the lore? I've never seen them, but that doesn't mean they're not there. If you want them to be there, they're probably there. That being said... I could absolutely see the idea that if if there is a hag that has a stationary hut and she needs to move for some reason, that there is a spirit she can call upon that literally picks up her house and moves oh, it. I'm fucking straight, and I could definitely see how that could be. And in fact, I, I, as much as I was flippantly going fuck off, quite literally, yeah. flippantly, um, uh, I almost certainly would write it in if I was doing something, but I wouldn't write it in as a chicken-legged hut. I'd be writing it in some other fashion, and uh, spirits are the way forward. Yeah. Like, has it happened? Probably. Is it something that you would see on the battlefield? Probably not. <laughs> uh, and then uh, your next question, is the lore of hags a practical battle lore? Uh, we already talked about this. Not really, but in Total War, it probably would be. But that's yeah. a limitation of Total War. Uh, but that being said, hags would be absolutely fucking terrifying to fight. And yeah, extremely I think there's no reason deadly. Yeah, no reason it couldn't be. Um, yeah. it'd be an easy an easy thing to do if it you would wish. yeah I, it would not if you were fighting against them and you understood how magic worked it would not look like a battle lore it, it would, would be, be more really like really weird yeah, um, it, yeah it would be her calling upon spirits that you probably couldn't see to interact with the real world and it would probably be scary as fuck um and you'd be dealing with a i mean a lot of your dispels so to speak would be working against the spirits themselves not the hags um that are doing things on the hag's behalf it's all very complicated yeah. and different it would actually be a lot of fun from a role play or storytelling perspective mm. because a lot of the usual ways to stop a witch or a wizard would not work on the hag superb um, and i that that's the fun things about the role play game is um showing how you can do things differently and diving into those details levels of fun yep uh anything interesting slash unique about mother ostankia uh so something i can tell you about her because she's brand new but uh, things that we I can tell you about her is that um, from the trailer that's very well written is that Mother Ostankia appears to be extremely old. 
I don't know if I'd go so far as to say she's the original hag, but she's probably one of the old, she probably the oldest one that's around because she seems to have utterly sacrificed her humanity to become what she is. And if you watch the trailer, you'll note that if it, it could be, a, it's a little subtle, so you might not catch it. But what happens in the trailer is that the changeling turns into an ice witch to burn down as goofy as that is a, a sacred site uh, to the spirits in Kislev. He corrupts it. And the Akshina see it, and the Akshina do not understand what's going on. They are not wizards. They are. They have to interpret the situation. So they go to Mother Ostenka, and they tell her, hey, we saw an ice witch destroying a sacred grove. And if you watch, you can actually see her expression go, like, from listening to concerned to fucking pissed. And then she follows the changeling, who is in that form, back to a city, and she fucking obliterates it because they violated the pact with the spirits and they are a risk to Kislev itself, um, which shows that she is extremely powerful and also she does not fuck around. There is no mercy from Mother Ostankia. And also extremely easy to manipulate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Granted, <laughs> she didn't see it. And honestly, to her... Oh, did that happen? Yeah. Like, Burn! Seriously. I was, it was a joke, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I would not be surprised if Mother Ostankia is probably such a not fan of what Kislev has become. Um, she probably does not like the giant cities that push back nature, chop down the trees, divert the rivers, you know, change everything around them so they can be civilized. She probably resents that very heavily. Um, so she probably doesn't take much of a push to destroy certain cities. Um, uh, this question has nothing to do with that, but we'll answer it anyway. Corn's, number, Corn's a number eight fan. Yep. Uh, how does Corn's magic work? Is it like a cut? I'm not really sure what this question is asking now that I'm looking at it. I, that's a, that's certainly a lot of words. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I would suggest if you've got something you specifically want to know, try again. Um, because it's difficult to determine whether you're asking how does corn magic work? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. I just realized corn's number eight fan is the person. Okay. Sorry. Oh, I was, yeah. I was so confused. Yeah. So his question is. You need a colon or something. How, in there. Yes, I should. I, well, I, I should have had a dash. How does the hags magic work? Is it like a custom mesh of the other wins? We've already talked about this. We've talked about experience. that. Experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was. I was like, what the hell is this saying? <laughs> um, Jake asks, are the hags freaks in the sheets? Well, interestingly, one of their spells is an ability to make themselves look like they're beautiful and young. It's one of the classic fairy tales of um, someone popping into the forest and being attracted off so that they can have children. Um, and it's a very sad tale. And the answer is probably as much as anyone can be. Yep. They're still human, at least for the most part. Yes. Servitor, what is the hag's hair routine That's like? Lonely. Um, uh, I imagine a, oh it's coming out. Oh. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably not great. <laughs> yeah. Probably not great. Um, as I recall from the hag marks, it's wee well since I wrote those. Um, you, whenever hags screwed up their castings, the spirits would ravage them. Um, and things would go very bad, and they picked up marks as in they aged and they aged and they aged as the spirits ravaged them. And one of them is, as I recall, their hair eventually just completely falls out in horrible patches and clumps. Yeah, they probably have some hair, but it's probably very patchy and awful. Yeah, just uh, poor, poor, and poor I mean, just think, think what happens to people's hair when they get really, really old. It becomes yeah. like really lanky and kind of lifeless and 
it's hard to work with and stuff. Start, you start going bald in places and yeah. yeah. The Blood God Scourge are the things that occasionally go in or out of the woods connected to the hags. Um, I traditionally they were not, but they are a suitable they are a suitable stand-in for we need to make battle units out of spirits. Yeah. Um, I, I think that pretty much any existing spirit unit will be more than usable by the hags should they decide to do so. I, assuming they run with them, they might decide to curtail them and never use them again after this. Yeah, I would I would actually be totally fine with seeing Drycha's uh, malevolent dryads and malevolent treemen as a option, yeah. as well as like all the animal units they seem to be getting as well. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Jar Jar Skinks is hag magic color magic no we've already talked about spirits uh corn's number eight fan this time i did have a dash well done <laughs> um are they like chaos mutated or are they just like that uh it's part of their bargain with the spirits they sacrifice their youth in exchange often in exchange because that's and, the only and thing. when they do things incorrectly the spirits literally suck the freaking life out of them yeah the spirits are just super cool and nice like that mm. um is the changeling that good at transforming into others that even those magically gifted could not tell yes so, well the answer depends. is yes um yeah. uh, and the reason i say yes for this one in particular is the changeling's good enough to fool the gods themselves but if i was going to be really you know say for example if i was going to look for the loophole in the bargain you know that little thing that says there is someone who could do it i would probably choose a hag because the hags are the ones that have been trained and excel most in the site they're the ones that deal with and can look directly into the spirit realm so of any of them the possibly the ones that can detect chaos more than anyone else arguably in the known world maybe the hags could catch them yeah but probably honestly honestly the trailer probably played its cards better than it meant to by having mother ostankia not the one that saw the changeling but yeah, the Axtina. Cool. Whereas Yuan Bo does see the changeling and he doesn't realize it's the changeling as yeah, the Onyx Chroman. Quite some time, yeah, totally. Yeah, well, in the in the short the story, story he as well. Yeah, he's he like, doesn't realize it until the changeling yeah. makes a mistake. I've never um, read it, by the way. Yeah, oh, yes, and he did finally <laughs> read it. Um, gaggle. Yep. Fucking um, gaggle. Godzilla <laughs> uh, 2021. Did I see the new Quattle mod? Yes, it's amazing. Oh, my God. Andy, you've never heard my... <sighs> So we don't have time for it. There's there's a very <laughs> infamous rant of mine. I really don't like the design. Rant. I oh. do not like the designs of the lizardmen in some cases. You're gonna and, get me starting with um the design of Marathi next, aren't you? Yeah, the I I do not like the the quaddle in particular made me fucking furious because we have so much artwork of the quaddle as a feather as a fly a flying serpent with feathered wings makes sense and instead they gave it a bird beak because there was a white dwarf article where a games workshop employee made a model of a quaddle for tabletop and he used the old chaos dragon sculpt which had kind of beaky mouths because they had really pointy mouths yep I know. and them. because of that he painted the mouth yellow like a beak so some dipshit at ca was like oh it's a beak even though every single piece of artwork they have serpent mouths well that's horseshit yeah it gets me i also hate the way crocs gores look because they're not i don't like how creative assembly i love creative assembly very deeply but the way they interpreted some of the lizardman stuff they were like oh a crocs gore is a crocodile that stood up on its hind legs and that's oh, not no. what they are they're not <laughs> they're, they're cool. aliens 
So I'm really glad you're saying that because I'm inevitably going to be one hell of a ranter too. And it makes me feel good that someone else does it. Oh my God. Yeah, dude, the, the, there is, there is a huge meme where people love just coming into my streams for total war and being like, why? Like, I think total war croc scores are better than original ones. And I just go off every single time. I can't help myself, um, but we have to move on. All right. Uh, can an ice witch become a hag or once you become one, can you never become the other? Well, that's an interesting point. That is an interesting um, question. So, um, uh, um, right. So the ice witches are pretty much exclusively gospodars. Um, pretty much. The the entire process is that the gospodars go out, look for gospodar girls, find them, take them away, and train them. So on that side, you're pretty much stuck as one thing. And the chances of you then, bizarrely, somehow culturally getting wrapped up with the hags, I think is so exceedingly low that it's almost not worth saying yes to. But one of the great joys of Warhammer is taking a look at all the existing models and asking, what if? And several of the better characters that have been created down through the course of time for Games Workshop uh, various products have been characters that bridge that what if question. And the what if question could be, here could be what if an ice witch um uh, rebelled from the court for example and found herself in a position where she made some deals um with a completely different form of kislev and i think that that could come up with some really interesting answers an ice witch old crone um who comes in from the um icy wastes i think could fit thematically very well you'd want a really good story for how it came apart uh, came about though and you'd want something that was thematically um interesting and impactful because it would be a big event yeah okay so i want to address this so first of all you're entitled to your opinion but it doesn't mean your opinion isn't fucking garbage <laughs> <laughs> um second of all games workshop has settled this debate for us in that there are now two distinct species of croxagore there are classic croxagore and then there are long snout croxagores that still look way fucking better than the garbage shit total war ones which are called the um uh they're called they're like sotek spawn I, they're a mark of sotek croxagore i can't remember their technical title but uh no the thing is, the Total War Croxagores are a cool creature, but they're not Croxagores. <laughs> I will fucking shoot this. you. <laughs> Mods, just, if, anybody, if anybody else says they like them, just start banning them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Croxagore War Spawn. Thank you. Yeah, those are the new breed. But they, they still don't look like the Total War ones, because the Total War ones are fucking trash. Um, They're fat, and they have no necks, and they're not nearly... They're, they're just wrong. You're making they me don't, cry here. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> they're um, wrong. They're just wrong. It 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 drives me crazy. What are opinions, garbage? <laughs> um uh, so uh, croxigors with beaks, it, it would be about as offensive to me as as the, the current ones. The only the only croxigore in the game that I like is Nakai. Um and even Nakai, I think, could be better. Uh because he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of the telltale features of Croxagore, but he is not as bad just because he's so big. I'm really um, looking forward to streaming with playing the Lizardmen and loving the models. Maybe that's just going to be our first co-op stream is one of us is going to play Lizardmen and we're not going to play any of the game. We're just going to bitch the entire time. 
Um, six shot. What is the nicest and evilest thing a hag has ever done? I, okay, I think there's a really we don't a we'd have to I don't know go read a book, <laughs> but um, I will say this. Kislev itself, one of its strong themes is that Kislev is a land that does not coddle fools. Mm. Um, even their god of mercy, Soliak, who's kind of like the Kislevite equivalent to Shalia in a sense, yes. she is a she is a god that does not heal you and does not save you if you were a dumbass. She will let you die and she will let you suffer because you should have known better. Um, like it is. And the hags are part of that. If you are a damn fool, if you do not follow the warnings, if you do not behave, you will suffer immensely. And it's your own goddamn fault. Mm. So, yeah, so they're as nice or as, <clears throat> as, in quotations, evil as people. Mm. They're just people. They're living in communities. They're just people. Don't try and other them too much. They are just people. Yep. Uh, though, if you want a good example of like uh, a tragic one, like I said, go read Graham McNeil's Sigmar story. Um, the witch in that knows something is going to happen and she sets it in motion and it is dark. Um, but she does it to save the empire. Um, so it's, yeah, it's complicated. Dragon Turtle, do Norskins slash other tribes also make use of the lore of hags? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, now the, uh, it's a really good one, actually, because it's the one you immediately you go, no, don't be daft. But there's a lot of bleed um, <clears throat> between the various uh, cultures and peoples that make their lives in and around troll country, the south of Norska, southwest, I suppose, of southeast army of Norska, down into Kislev. And there's a lot of Norse blood running through the Ungols in the north, and there's a lot of Ungol blood running through the north in the south. And I think the answer to that is almost certainly not openly, but there's probably a few around kicking about here or there, um, particularly given that uh, several of the hags will have moved north for one reason or another to try and disrupt the potential of uh, threats coming from the north, particularly if they themselves have begun to mutate. There's one thing that's um, brought up a couple of times in the lore, in the lore, the realm of the Ice Queen, is that several of the uh, that they, they deal with mutation? They know that mutants occur. They know that it might not be anybody's fault. They don't do what they do in the Empire, where they presume that mutation means a corruption of the soul. Definitely, what it means is you're beginning to corrupt, and your soul may corrupt. So what they do is they try to train them, use them, and get them sent north as soldiers as fast as possible. And that includes if it happens to themselves. One of the call-out characters was a hag who had started to develop mutations but didn't want to go, which is why she was the call-out character, because she was doing so much work to try and stop chaos. She felt that if she stopped, no one would take her place. So, yeah, I reckon there's probably a couple of them kicking around up there, but I don't think that they would be Norskin per se, or Norse per se. Yeah. That being said, like... um. Total War obviously doesn't demonstrate it because it's it's a war game. The whole point is to fight with armies and there need to be consistent themes within those armies. But Norskins are not a monolith. In fact, many Norskins don't use like Norskins don't use the term Norskin because it's like the continent. It's not a country. Um, and they don't see eye to eye with each other. But there are Norse cults that have held on more to their ancestry as far as they were not originally that they have always worship gods that uh some southlings would not agree with but not all of the norse ones were full-on like chaos worshipers and many that exist in the north are far more peaceful and are willing to work with other factions like 
there are Norse tribes that trade with the Norskin dwarfs, and the Norskin yeah. dwarfs will not trade with the really chaosy ones. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing to remember about the Norse is that um, they're, to begin with, a relatively tragic um, tribe, so to speak, and that the Norse were driven north by Sigmar. Um, they refused to join Sigmar in his great campaigns. Um, and he genocided the, the shit out um, of them. So he genocided the shit out of them during his rule. And he pushed them out into the sea, out into Kislev, pushed <clears> them through <throat> the Ungols. Um, Many of them had to sail north and go over towards the frigid north. They went there because they were forced there by the Empire. Um, but they had their own gods, their own views. And eventually, the, the sheer reality of their situation meant that the further north their peoples went, the more they realized that there were certain powers up there that if you did not pay heed, they did not suffer you to exist. Uh, the good old chaos gods are not the happiest of people. Um, so practicality alone meant that many of them worshipped the chaos gods, but not worship. It was more appease them. You've got to remember what the whole worship thing means, but the chaos gods liked worship. So there was a a bit of a call when they moved from trying to appease them to those that started outright worshipping jealous gods. And that's when it all went quite wrong for the Norse. Um, this is more of a question for you than me, because I was not around then. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Um, now, the, the, the Norse, I mean, the, the, all the way back in um, third edition, I would say, rather than fourth, um, uh, if you take a look at what they did with Man of War, where they basically just made them Vikings again, um, and if you take a look at the, the army lists that were in 3rd edition um, in the... Oh, what was the name of the book? I'm looking at it. It's over there. 3rd edition army book. Anyway, I can't remember what it is. They're basically just Vikings. Um, and they don't so much, as I recall, directly call them out. They give them a slight name twist here or there, but it's really weak. But you've got to remember that those editions of Warhammer were actually created for people to play with their war game miniatures. Um, so you'll find that their their Cathayans were just they were just Japanese models. Their Vikings were Viking models. Their Holy Roman Empire models were used for the Empire. Um, and then they were really awesome because they could also take their Lord of the Rings models, their orcs and their elves, or their uh, their whole Melnibonian range that uh, Citadel made. They could take those and say that they're high elves. So the whole foundation of the Warhammer world was nothing more than taking models from the real world and dropping them in. So there's an awful lot of real-world gods slippage um, into the early products because, well, it's not slippage. They were just using that. And then, bang, they created the Warhammer world, which took all of the models from all of the different war game makers, dropped it in its own world and said, yeah, but now it's this. Um, but you can still use those, but now it's this. And they started twisting all of the names over time. And in particular, it became a real thing with the, uh, the, the dawning of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay first edition where they then detailed it all yeah that was weird your mic got muffled for a second but it sorted oh, itself out stinking mic yeah it's fine now um but uh yes um davy jones insert always has been meme um yes. it, you if you go all the way back to second edition warhammer fantasy roleplay the realms of chaos or tone of corruption there's tone a whole corruption. chapter norskins yeah. that goes very in depth that a lot of the southern norska can be very loosely divided into northern and southern tribes the southern tribes are not what you would call like evil they are far more open to trade and a lot of norskins live in like marienburg and altdorf and they're mm -hmm. like all over the place yep. and they they're they're like they're big guys but they're welcome members of society as long as they're not overt chaos worshipers a lot of people will tolerate them um or even like them because they'll bring really exotic materials 
from like whaling on the ocean or uh from certain uh other areas so yeah there there are good guy norskins all over the place you could yep. easily play one in wolf Rup. it's awesome oh yeah totally they're, they're a proper cart concept um the tome of corruption was a book that i was deeply involved with um and the addition of all the norskin culture in there was an important part the, the it wasn't chaos sorcerers that were added it was victies that were added those that appease the gods and yeah worth having a look at the kill corruption relatively easy book or pdf to go find if you wish to do so because it gives quite a lot of detail about um norskin society that's always certainly going to be overwritten at various points but it's still a really good thing to look at and get an idea of what the warhammer world's like yeah even in total war like there's a reason your shamans do not wield the chaos lords they wield the regular lords of magic and it's because mm. like they're not full-on chaos sorcerers they're, it's more complex than that um uh, okay we got to start firing through these do hags make elementals like Air, uh, arabian jinn Mm, that's make that's them. no uh they work with spirits now if you were fighting a hag on the battlefield and she called upon the spirits to defend her would it kind of could it look like an elemental comes up and attacks you absolutely yes yeah perfect uh what is hag spell preparation for their curses like and the hags uh okay so we answered the second part but yeah what does their spell prep look like okay so um they're preparations tend to be particular ingredients that they need to get which require special ingredients that are caught under certain circumstances so their spell preparation involves to begin with preparing their ingredients and their ingredients can sometimes be very difficult to organize once they've got those they then need to attract the spirits to them um which is what the ingredients are for that helps the, the spirits come and then they manipulate this the spirits directly using the equivalent of what uh other witches would refer to as channeling channeling is nothing more than your ability to effectively imagine your hands reach out and grab the winds of magic and fuck it about a bit that's what your channeling's doing and uh, it's your ability to change and move the winds of magic they don't move the winds of magic instead they use the same skill to do that to spirits and they use that to manipulate the spirits into doing what they want some spirits will not like this some spirits are more than happy to do this because it's in their nature. Other spirits are uh, sort of happy to do it because they've been told to, because there's deals in place, because them they've been appeased in some fashion. Often the ingredient is nothing more than a method of appeasing the spirit so that it can be manipulated by the witch. Yep. Uh, I'm just going to fire off very, very few little things here of like, no more could, you, could you have <laughs> Crackadrac... Uh, dwarf units as a sub-faction total war they could yes do i think it's ever going to happen no uh, i think there's too many like bigger dwarf things they have to deal with first mm. i wish the stragani were that lucky if you mean the sense that they're like playable or expanded upon they are you just gotta look in the right books um but stragani often feature very heavily as like really fascinating npcs and a lot of the little adventures and those can give you cool ideas for character creation you can absolutely make an awesome stragani character um john lacole i heard that the ancient mother i think you mean the the um they're all largely yeah, they're, they're, yeah. is involved <laughs> in the ice witches. is she also involved in the hacks potentially we've touched on that potentially yeah, it's complicated the and, yes and no yeah um how much would a thing in the woods chuck okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> um what are those things uh pulling ostankia's sled uh they are the things in the wood uh john lacole so they are the they are the things in the wood which are representative of like terrifying spirit creatures Though the actual origin is from Mordheim, and they have some really cool models and art. If you want to go look at that, mm -hmm. um, Wolhi three. What do the, who do the hags worship, and where do their souls go when they die? 
I think that's just a general Warhammer question. And the answer is there's a pantheon of gods that will be not worshipped, but appeased as needed. And their souls go to wherever souls go when they die. Um, there is no definitive answer on that one. But it is worth saying that the god Mor is not uh, worshipped in Kislev in the same way that he is worshipped in the rest of the old world. Yeah, is there is 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 it just more? Or is there a different death god in Kislev? I've nope, never heard of not. a death god. No, yeah. there's not. Um, it's there's specifically not. Um, the um it is no matter. Um, the uh, Kislevites have a very <laughs> different view on death. That's fair. Yeah, that whole that whole little song from the start of World War Warhammer Three, which weirdly enough is a, is a song to Dawes. Um. Which also, uh, Rumble the Ice Queen, you can read the entire song, which is also excellent. Um, the, the song from the Total War Warhammer 3 trailer is literally only like the last four lines. It's like 20 lines long. Um, no. Yeah, no. Uh, thank you, Noratio. Appreciate the question. Uh, but yep, answers no. Daddy Bear, uh, what's a good novel to learn and read about hags? Sigmar Trilogy? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's a good novel to learn about hags. It's a good novel to learn about a hag um I, i'd say if you're wanting to learn about them just grab realm of the ice queen it's probably your best option yep it's got some it's got a whole like chapter on hags it's great yeah it does uh the omnissiah how do the hags and ice witches coexist uh not well <laughs> with, with friction <laughs> yeah um just like how like the colleges of magic and the cults of sigmar do they not well <laughs> uh is lore of hags the new kiss of lore just a mixture of olgu shayish and gur uh is that how it might be represented in game at the moment? Possibly. Um, yeah, we'll but, see. Uh, should it be its own separate lore? Yes. Uh, yes. Bruh, thank you for the question. Yep. Prince Baron, where do the hags believe that Kislev ends? Are they, are they an expansionist faction or do they stay focused in a specific area? Are there, oh God, where's the rest of this question? Uh, are there <laughs> parts of Kislev that they don't believe is theirs? Right, so that's actually a really good one because um, we're now talking about the old Ungol lands rather than necessarily um, Kislev as it currently stands. And Ungol, the Ungols used to rule um, all from Prague, Erengrad, up for about halfway the distance up to the uh, up to Norska, and around about ha a little bit of the distance to the south. Ostland used to spread right out into. Um, what is modern day Kislev and Ostermark used to go right across over towards um, the opposite side. So um, if you're looking at what the Hags believe is the area that they protect, it's a large area around the Prague-Erengrad divide. That's where they are. There's Ungols quite far south and entire Stanistas villages down there um, of Ungols and they are primarily Ungols. It's only the cities where everyone sort of mixes out in the communities. Their uh, individual ethnicities tend to stick with their own with the occasional um, outlier here or there. So loosely speaking, a good chunk of Kislev and a good chunk of what people would see as troll country. Yep. Uh, on minis, I can 100% guarantee you that the small dog creatures are the thing in the woods. They, they might, that's their original name. They might not pluralize it because they weren't meant to be a unit. They were individual creatures. But if you look at uh, some models that were created by Games Workshop back in the day to represent them, they didn't sell them, but they were like a kit bash. They're practically identical to the Total War model where they're missing the skull and stuff. The big thing is called an incarnate elemental beast. It doesn't have, if it, if they gave it another name, it's other name would be the bloody Heidsman. Um, it wouldn't, a thing in the woods is not what you would call an incarnate elemental of Gur. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, is Ostankia, okay, this is a gameplay question. We don't know yet. Uh, we're waiting for more details from Creative Assembly. Stay tuned. Um, but Deadass, thank you for the question. Uh, Cincinnati, sin, sin, 
what is the purpose or plan of the hags in the world? Do they obey the ancient widow? Do they care about the land the same way the wood elves do? So I'm um, keeping this super short. What's the purpose of the plan of the hags in the world to survive? Do they obey the ancient widow? Obey is such a heavy word. And I think the answer would be no. They would respect the ancient widow. It's a completely different thing. Do they care about the land? Yes. The same way that wood elves do, the wood elves are insane. Um, so I would say in a different way, <laughs> but wood elves, they're, they're proper special. Yeah, the, the thing the thing a lot of people I think misunderstand about the wood elves is they think the wood elves are guardians of like, like they're just tree huggers. They're just nature elves. That's not true. They are They have formed a pact with Athel Lauren. But Athaloran is an entity. Um, it it thinks it it is a it has its own objectives. Um, it is and it is a weird like it it protects what is called the weave, but the weave is not the exact same thing as nature. There are a lot of similarities, um, but the weave is it's different. It's complicated. They we are don't have time to get weird into it. ass elves. That's yeah. what they are. <laughs> we, we don't have time to get into it. Um, the the answer is no. <laughs> Uh, Repo Man has confiscated Mother Hustunk's RV. Yep, thank you. Um, and there's no lore of hags. Uh, Andy, would you like to retract your excitement about what is being done with the hags? Uh, no, um, I'm uh, generally speaking really happy because they exist. They're there. The, uh, I mean, the alternative would be there would be no hags. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so no, no, I think it's great that they're in there. I spent a lot of time trying to make them make sense within the world. And it's lovely to see that other people have come in with a completely different framework because they're stymied by what the game can allow. And they've managed to create a lovely version of them. Are they the same? No, but they don't have to be the same. Yeah. Um, Infantry of Troy, appreciate the question, uh, even if it's very negative. Um, but it's like, so just because. Just because things are not implemented in the best possible way does not mean that it's trash. It just means yeah. it's different. Yeah. It's that's that's life. You gotta sometimes you gotta roll with it, guys. Uh Mila, when the hags cast spells from Laura Hags, uh, I think we've already and yeah, we've already answered yeah. this. Spirits. Spirits. <laughs> uh this answer to the most questions. Spirits. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, 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 such it's a today, casual term. <laughs> it's, today, it's today's version of elf bullshit. It's just spirits. <laughs> Um, how does one become a hag? Is it decided at birth or does one become choose to become a hag later in life? Uh, yeah, one doesn't choose to become a hag, sadly. Um, right, it's pretty simple. I'll run through it as quickly as I can. Um, children who have the sight are taken into um, the rota where the uh, wise ones are. Every You can only be a wise man if you have the sight. And if you have the sight, you can see the spirits. You can also see once you've been a wise one for some time. Um, chaos that lies within the hearts of uh, others. So the you have your wise ones and they're the ones that lead the community from one aspect, from their little circle. Some of them will go further. Some of them will be picked out. Some of them will suffer a tragedy. Some of them will effectively be the witches amongst them and they will become the next generation of hag witches um and uh none of them really want to be most of those who've got the site do not want to become hag witches because it's horrific yep uh yeah you lose your life yeah I mean, pretty much yeah um you 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 yeah just imagine you're sitting there just just to give you an example you're a 25 year old woman with a husband and two children and you're a part of the wise one circle. You've been part of the wise one circle since you were 14. And then on your 26th birthday, the spirits come. 
on your 26th birthday, you look 41 and you come out and see your husband and he looks at you and goes, what's happened? And then you have to have that conversation. The spirits have come. I, I'm now I'm now one of the witches. I'm, I'm one of the old witches. And then four years later, she looks 60. Her, her, her entire life has changed. Her husband now is confused as to what's happened. Nobody wants to become these, but it is a cost that they have to pay. Yep. Uh, so thank you for the yeah, good old Warhammer. Uh, Super KKP, thank you for the question. Uh, KFCID, uh, are hags strictly uncle or can they be gospel oh, as well? We, we answered that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, AV Pixstream. Yeah. Uh, have the hags or even Mother Ostenka ever left their homeland to assist the Empire, Dwarfs, Bretonia, etc.? Or are they strictly unprotecting their homeland? Um, they are a pretty localized group, um, but just like any force of Kislev, um, they will at times move beyond borders for whatever reason that is required for. There is always extenuating circumstances that mean people go beyond where they ever want to be. Yep. Um, also, maybe a stupid question. There's no such thing as a stupid hey. question. Uh, are the hags and Ostenka associated with Kislev herself? Um, like, would they worship her instead of uh, the typical pantheon? And I would say that the word worship is misapplied in all cases. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a very easy thing for everyone to fall into because the way in our world that we handle gods and worship and stuff is just not really how it works in Warhammer. Yeah. If you want to give an idea of what it's like, go take a check at, say, <laughs> Roman or Greek uses of gods and try to get a grasp of how they're worshipped because they're not worshipped uh doom pig when the hags take on the form of the ancient widow are they cursing themselves also giving that the form they take on is horrifying what even is the ancient widow physically or otherwise fucking horrific um there you go um are they cursing themselves that's an interesting way of putting it um they're definitely taking on the form of a great spiritual entity that you really don't necessarily want sitting inside you um the cost is almost certainly going to be a part of their life that's going to be a part of their bargain they're going to come out of it probably older more bent more in pain um so uh yeah I, I, what else can you say it would be pretty horrible oh here's an interesting question uh garvasius what happens if a young woman attempts to refuse the spirits or ignore them what would happen um they would um, plague her um and the wise women's circle would very much advise them against it plus you've got to realize that they almost always come to a wise woman someone who has been prepared all of her life for this to occur um they hope it doesn't but they're ready it is their spiritual duty to do it does that mean they like it no does that mean they're going to rail against it possibly does that mean they'll walk away from their people it's unlikely um it's 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 a really difficult cultural pressure that they'll be under to actually do what needs to be done plus the spirits are vengeful uh has a hag ever managed to keep a husband or are they all doomed to be forever alone um, many of them will be doomed. I mean, it's the reason that they're attached to the ancient widow. Um, and it's not just the, I mean, many of the hags come because they lose their husbands and they become so much closer to the ancient widow that they suddenly, the spirits come to them. Um, but uh, are they doomed? No, they're as doomed as any relationship. I mean, it, it, people are people. Many of their relationships will be doomed. Some of them will manage to su survive regardless. People are complicated. And the only answer to that is it depends on the people involved. Yep. Uh, Castrated, uh who would... <laughs> I'm skipping this question. Thank you, Castrated. <laughs> we are... We are... Castrated, really? <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, 
The only issue I have with your question is that if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a battle of gilfs, it should be Hellebron versus Mother Ostankia, not really versus. <laughs> that would be the battle of the horrifying old ladies. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, second bout of uh of second bout of insanity. Yeah. Are there any links between the Kislevite wilds and the forest and hags and the face tree spirits of Athelord and related places? Yes. Yeah, spirits um, be spirits. Uh, the, the, the spirits be spirits plus the world roots extend to where uh, pretty much every forest in the world. Um, so loosely speaking, yes. Uh Mason Jack, how cute is Quick Head Taker? Unrelated. He's adorable. Um uh Diego <laughs> Assassin, what would happen if the hags found uh a boy that was gifted? Yep. Uh horrendous but poor boys poor boys there's 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 a boy crisis yeah, and magic that's um, that's one that's one of their um few hard lines uh they they don't like letting mutants live um but some hags have a network where they allow mutants to survive they train them and send them out um but male wizard it's basically just it's like finding a chaos marauder in your camp um Ratwood, are the children of hags treated with reverence or other special types of treatment because their mothers became hags? No, they're they're they're, they're just children. Um, like they're, they're, uh, an unfortunate side effect of that is that in magic in the Warhammer world is almost certainly genetic, and that the ability yeah. to do it uh, almost certainly is. So it means that children of um uh, powerful an older hag witch is almost certainly are going to become them in time and i think that a very nice character would be a potential hag witch that was born a hag witch um that would be a really fun character born old and wizened um and then has magic from birth but uh yeah no nothing special unless they turn special later yeah this is actually technically not true um it's not revealed in most sources what happens to boys they are taken but they are not killed um, though there is a short story that is fantastic that reveals what potentially becomes of them, and they are known as the Sons of Bretonia, and they are super badass. They are like terrifying, gifted warriors that ride on Kelpies, and it's a unit I want really badly until World Warhammer. Yeah, cut a long story short, no. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so the rest of these I didn't have time to put in here, so I'll just have to read out loud. Uh, Infiltrator of Troy, and the Old Lord, what did the Hogs do? Oh, yeah, this is actually a great question. What did the hags do when the Gospodars invaded Kislev? So when the Ice Witches showed up under Queen Mishka, why didn't uh, why didn't they help fight back? They did. Yeah, they lost. Yeah, they lost. Um, the Ice Witches were horrendous. You've got to think of them as what they actually were at that point, which is a stupendously powerful fighting force that had been working for the several generations to arrive at Kislev. They had been fighting against the worst Chaos Marauders, the worst Orc tribes, the worst Hobgoblin tribes that were out there, and had survived. A people that were so stubborn that they'd somehow not fallen to Chaos, perhaps they'd been protected by Mother Kislev itself, and they arrived, they kicked ass, they chewed gum, and no one could stop them. The Empire was similarly defeated. The Kislev could have continued fighting, but it chose to stop at its borders. The borders of Kislev where the where Mother Kislev herself sat. That was where they stopped. They didn't stop because they were uh, losing. They stopped because they'd reached where they needed to go. They defeated the Empire in multiple battles. Uh, Ostland and Ostermark were crushed. Yep. Um, some other... Uh, we talked about Arianka earlier in the stream. You can... Yes, uh, I, I will do my damnedest to add timestamps afterwards. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> 
Sorry, guys. Oh, you're going to tell me I do timestamps. I still don't know how to do it. Uh, it's super easy. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll tell you after. Yeah, um, you rock. <laughs> are hags as powerful as elves? Uh, it would depend on the hag. And it's I mean, it, how it, long is a piece of string? Yeah, power power comparisons are weird and fancy. It's not, yeah, they really are. It's um, it's a tempting exercise. I get it. We all love who would wins, but it's it, like mm. when you're looking at it from a genuine lore perspective, it's really complicated really fast. I'll add a different um, answer to that, and that is that hags have an advantage that many spellcasters don't have, and that's time. Yeah. Uh, what would happen if the Ancient Widow were to be destroyed? I'm going to say that instead of die. Uh, would the hags lose their powers? I would say probably not because their powers no. come from the spirits, not the ancient widow. Yeah, indeed. And their and their ability to manipulate the spirits does not come from the ancient widow. It's uh, an actual skill that you can learn as a spellcaster. Yeah. Now, she might have originally taught them how to do it way back in the day or something. Who knows? But uh, yeah. I think it's more likely the Ungols developed it themselves, um, realizing that how dangerous uh, that chaos was. Um, it's yeah. a cultural thing. I, I guess yeah. it'd be better to say the ancient widow could very well just be the most powerful of the spirits that they bargained with. Yeah, I think that's a really good line. Um, okay, Shin, uh, love you, buddy. Uh, none of these questions have anything to do with hags, so we're gonna skip them. Appreciate it though. Um, sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, half crown because the lore of hags and the lore of the great maw are both very ingredient focused ritual practices. Could hags ever gain access to the lore of the great maw? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, funny. I, well, that's a funny, really funny question but no yeah, yeah do you <laughs> no gastromancy for them gastromancy comes from the great maw <laughs> like it's 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 a relationship there if you don't have the great maw's attention it doesn't care about you and it uh that being said could a non-human learn gastromancy that's a really fun thing i would say it's probably possible but not easy um, there is a very intrinsic relationship between the Great Maw and the Ogres that was caused by the Great Maw's creation. It was a mm -hmm. feedback loop. Um, could an ogre female become a hag under the right circumstances? Also from Half Crown. That's one of those ones where you go, no, but... Um, yeah. In that it's not a natural uh, outcome, given the nature of ogres and the nature of the type of people that they are. I just can't see it happening. But I'm sure a story could be written where it did. It would require very specific circumstances. It would require really specific circumstances. My, so my gut instinct is, don't be daft. And then, but I'm like, I could write that. I could make that work. Yeah. Ogres, they're not stupid. They think different from us. So we think they're stupid, but they are not yeah. stupid. They, they they just have very different brains because they don't have imagination as we understand it. They don't, uh, they, they're just different. They got a really intense case of amphantasia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Og yeah. They're, ogres are only mm. stupid if you apply a human set of intelligence. Um, yeah, I'm also going to call it this difference. comment in particular. It's not just that they're uneducated. You can try to educate a, an ogre, but there are certain things that ogres just will not get. In the same way that there are certain aspects to magic that humans will not get, because there's certain aspects to the site they just don't have. They see differently to, say, the elves or to the slan. So uh, they're just different. They will excel in certain areas and be far better than us in a whole variety of things. But equally, we do them and others. There you go, Ogre Hack. She eats. It just eats something with a spirit in it. <laughs> that, that's pretty much on it. Well done. Um, Saint Snowmad, if Kislev is getting the Incarnate Elemental of Beast, what factions could the other Incarnate Elementals go to? What would those Elementals be like? Okay, so we only received battle profiles for three of them, which were Beast, Fire, and Death. Um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has since added life 
uh, to the equation with artwork and like a profile and rules and stuff. And then we have a lot of hints and rule or like stories and legends about what light and metal are like. We have no idea what shadow and whoever I'm missing um, heavens are like. We don't know what those two are like at all. They've never even been vaguely described. Um, that being said, I would be shocked if we got all of them. Um, I, I think it's likely we will get the three from the original books. Um, I would personally put death and fire in a Araby faction. If we ever got them, I think Araby would be awesome with incarnate elementals. I put all of them in there. Well, yeah, that's fair. Um, as far as like, it just, you know, you can technically, they can go anywhere where that faction has that kind of wizard and it would not be inappropriate for them to be there because they're, they're literally just manifestations of those wins. Um, thank you for the question. Uh, let's see. Uh, Isington, what if any are the links between the Fumir and the Hags? None. We talked about that. Um, Shen, would Mother Ostenkia start in a magical forest? We don't know yet. Um, I, I, I could absolutely see Mother Ostenkia being in a magical forest. That would make sense. They're very spirit heavy. So yeah, that would make sense. Uh, Infiltrator of Choi, Sotek compared the women that gave uh, Garion slash Azazel the advice on how to betray Sigmar to an Uncle Hagwitch. Was she actually an Uncle Hagwitch? No, she was just a witch. Um, she doesn't actually involve herself with spirits. She just, she has a, her relationship to the Umberrigan tribe is very similar to a Uncle Hagwitch's relationship uh, to many of the people that would live around her is how I would say that. It's a cultural equivalent. Um. The elemental incarnate of the deeps is just the Necrofex Colossus. I mean, technically, you could argue that any vampiric creature is just an incarnate elemental of that lore of vampires, and you're not technically wrong, <laughs> but you're also not technically right because it's not it's not that wind manifesting itself into a physical shape. It is you taking magic and putting it into something that's already there. Um, would be my argument. Uh, like and. I don't think I don't even know if you could have an elemental of Carnet of the invented lords. I don't I don't think you could. Maybe you could. I don't know. That'd be weird. Um, you could maybe. Um, it would probably be really nightmarish though. I would not want to see an incarnate elemental of the lore of vampires. No, thank you. Um, literally just being the gash. Uh, <laughs> um, Keplum, when exactly were the hags using all those enslaved, tainted slash mutant Kislevites they gather up for? Could their debts in the hag rituals feed the ancient widows similar to sacrifices to the chaos gods? Yes, they could, but that depends entirely on the nature of that spirit, and that has yet to be actually defined. There you go. Uh, and then Keblum, what did the ancient widow's husband do? Men are too em emotional to wield magic prophecies about the ruination of Kisla's magic by a male using her magic, granting hand magic to some women when they become widows, a land frozen eternal ice. Just what the hell did that man do? And that is a beautiful question that deserves to be answered. Um, yep. It was, I specifically set that one up myself. Um, it, there's a reason that she's called the widow. Um, it's not just because, you know, it's a nice name. Um, yeah, there's definitely a story there that's not been plumbed. And is that attached to other stories in the area? Perhaps. I imagine someone at some point will attempt to answer it. Yeah, I, I, that's a awesome question to explore because I think so. it, it's, there's a lot potentially there of like, in some ways with all the ice and everything, it's like, oh, it could be lost. But then when you think about how much she exiles men, it almost seems like there was something almost more abusive going on 
Um, and doesn't sound good, does it? Yeah. Now, that being said, I did love somebody's comment earlier that the Widowmaker of Cain may have also been involved. Um, that's spicy, and I really like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's it would probably be that would probably be if it ever got written. I would really hope it was an incredibly convoluted, crazy story with multiple interpretations that there's no true answer to. Um, and that it's just wild. Like every version think, of it should be wild. I think the correct way of answering it is the way that um, there's a, a while ago, I had an interview with Lawrence Schnicht and he's the high lore master over on Elder Scrolls and he also <laughs> did Baldur's Gate 3. Mm. Um, and he has a very, very clean version of how lore should be presented. And it's always presented from the perspective of someone inside the setting. That means that it can be at all times contradictory, but fine for that individual, which means if you're going to answer this particular story, you don't write it in an army book and say, back in the year XXX, this occurred, this God did this, this God did this, big story. Ooh! What you do instead is you have somebody explain the story to somebody else. It's an in-world story, and it's their understanding of what occurred, and you can answer it perfectly. But that doesn't mean that someone else on the other town, just 20 miles down the river, thinks that they've got a completely different answer. And I oh, think yeah. that's the best way to answer yeah. it, um, uh, that one, because that allows for multiple interpretations. Yep. All right, uh, but that is all of them. We actually got through them all this time. Holy shit, uh, we did it. Fuck yeah. me. Uh, we're way <laughs> o- we're hugely over time. Uh, that happens. That's all right. Um, what's the cult of Ulrich's view on hags? Probably not great. <laughs> cult of, uh, well, no, actually, the cult of Ulrich is a cult that's very much about self-reliance. It's a cult about being responsible. It's a cult about doing your own thing um, and not needing to rely upon the strength of others. It's your own individual strength. I think the cult um, would have no problems. They have enough problems as it is. I'll give you an example. In Kislev, they have no talking priests, as they refer to them. There is no cult there's no part of the howling wolf aspect to it there are no priests of ulrich they are only represented by the white company that's uh the templars of ulrich because as far as they're concerned talk is just a waste of time um and the uh i think they and the hags would get on fine <laughs> okay <laughs> uh man i can't wait for when they inevitably add warrior priests of ulrich into total war <laughs> I, I do love the cult of Ulrich. I have written a lot about the good old cult of Ulrich. Um, is the ancient widow the first hag? Who knows? Also, you know, to the Widowmaker comment earlier, the fact that many of the brides of Cain, when they become powerful enough, are called hags. Hmm. Hmm. There's something in there. You know, that, the more I think of it, the more it makes me want to write a thing. Yeah, you get, that... you get excited about things. You're like, Ooh. yeah. Honestly, the more, yeah, I the more I'm there's some interesting connecting threads there that are it not is. loose. That's that's interesting uh, is there a cult of positive masculine traits is there a knuff cult <laughs> um yes lots of them um yeah. uh but we're not dealing with cults here we're dealing with magic and sadly uh in kislev magic <laughs> and men do not get on very well but that's because we're dealing with kislev if we go to the empire um many of the magical traditions are male dominated for a variety of reasons all right, uh, but we are out of time. Thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you had fun. Um, I did. We we got a lot out of that, and it was a really, really good time. So um, like I've said earlier, if you have not already, please, for the love of God, go subscribe to Lawhammer uh, on Twitch and YouTube. Also, check out Ruggery Publications. There should be a bot that's constantly posting that shit everywhere. Uh, bot you- rocks, 
by the way. You should pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, poor Nightbot. It's working his ass off. Um, but uh, also, but on YouTube, uh, you should be able to see links down below. If not, you can just type it in the search bar. They're easy to find. Uh, so Lawhammer, Rookery Publications. Uh, Rookery is coming back this... When? No, I think it's a Saturday after. I'll I'll ping you next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, I'll give you the first dates at the end of the stream. Okay, yeah. So uh, here, I will post the... I will actually... Those oh, look at that. There you go. Look at those things. They're on the screen. So you know what each one is. Lawhammer is me talking about role-playing games in the Warhammer world, playing games, because I can't help myself. I'm going to be playing Total War as well, and is a variety of occasional lore streams. I'm doing most of them over here. because Thank you, Hawk. Fun. Um, over on the other side with uh, at the Rookery, that's where we talk to people from across the games industry about game shit. And we've had everyone from Andy Hall, who most of you know, to various games workshop writers, to just role play writers and artists et al. And finally, Twitch at Law Hammering, just my Twitch stream. Get over there, go, go subscribe. Why haven't you done it already? I've been sitting here for hours talking away about stuff. <laughs> yeah, and hey, there's, there's loads subs. of you out there. If you want to subscribe subs. right now, I could do a dance. <laughs> uh five you dance anyway andy don't yeah, you can't, right. you can't really offer do. things you give away for free uh <laughs> um yeah if you get lawhammer gets to 5k subs i will put out queek Ooh. yeah i've, I've already Come on. Like, i yeah, want to see it too y'all been waiting for like three or four years uh, i think it's been four years at this point <laughs> <laughs> it'll happen it'll happen um i've actually been uh feeling good and getting a lot of writing done lately but in any event um uh yep Make sure you go watch the Lawhammer series every Friday. Uh, awesome. A lot of cool stuff. Um, and uh, you already know my shit, so I'm not going to plug my own crap. Uh, anywho. But you should, you know, go do his crap too. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> anywho, we're out of here. Uh, we'll see. Oh, uh, next vote. Uh, we're Ooh, alternating yeah. them, so it'll be on my channel this time really? uh, for the vote. I don't know what's going to be on there yet. We'll figure it out. Um, so make sure you drop by the community tab to vote. Thank you all for watching. You rock. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.